The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is, is is not here this 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 muggle did not want to participate this week on the podcast but out now is a film podcast where abe and i normally discuss new movies weekly however every now and then we have these special bonus episodes whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different and this is our commentary track for the month of november 2021 and in honor of the 20th anniversary of the launch of one of the most successful movie franchises of all time we are talking harry potter and the sorcerer's stone or harry potter and the philosopher's stone depending on your <laughs> i don't know your place if of, you're nasty your place of living <laughs> um, but yes we're talking the first year in the the world the wizarding world um and it's gonna be it's gonna be a long one as you probably told so saw when you turn on your podcast you saw oh this is not just two hours <laughs> it's two and a half hours um Joining us to discuss Harry Potter and the Sorcerer Slash the Philosopher's Stone, we have from Wise Blue and host of the Brandon Peters Show, recently awarded 500 points for House Hufflepuff due to a dangerous act of podcasting. It's Brandon Peters. Not all film writers are good, Aaron. Some of them go bad. <laughs> also joining us from the Milky Way Blues, he once puked in the sorting hat and blamed his son. It's Yancey Burns. Hey guys, not participating in this part, as always. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, joining us from Forbes, always in need of more Quidditch scenes, it's Scott Mendelson. I love Quidditch. No, <laughs> I don't. Zing! <laughs> How, are you guys doing? How are you guys doing this evening? I'm doing well. Good. 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 Glad to have you all here. I'm excited to talk about these movies, uh, largely because I am. I am not a big wizarding guy, so I have only seen these not many times. Uh, so we're going to get Aaron all is it. a Potter less. As we say. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what they call it. Uh, but what we're going to do here is Brandon, Yancey, Scott, and I all have the first film, uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, we have it currently set. I should have. I think I went over this. If you go with you other guys. So we haven't set it 10 seconds in. Or for the UK <laughs> listeners, the Philosopher's Stone. Don't get confused. We have it set 10 seconds in on the movie and on the sound of go. The four of us are all going to press play and start watching the movie and talking about it. It will be on mute while you just hear our voices going over this very long film. If you plan to watch along with us, just you know, set it up at 10 seconds. And when you hear go, press play and you get to hear us and you'll be in sync with the movie. It'll be all good. If uh, you're just listening to listen, you're set already. You, you, you just you know, put the wand down, grab your broom, and fly along while listening to a podcast. That if you're on the treadmill, stuff. you have a long jog ahead of you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. Wait, I'm allowed to do this on the treadmill? I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to know what that would sound like. Ha, 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 box office. But I will see. I, I heard no difference there. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, that is the, uh, that's, that's what we're doing. Here. So if we're all ready to go, are you guys ready? Yep. yep. All right. Well, here we go. Three. Two, one, go. So, guys, which house would you be? 
I never taken that quiz to know what the answer would that be. Okay. I'll, find, I'll find that BuzzFeed quiz somewhere and, and do it while we do this podcast. <laughs> Um, as I've mentioned, I'll go first as far as the like, when did we first see these movies? I am not a Potter guy. I did not read these books. I saw these movies eventually, um, starting with, with, when Azkaban was coming out. That's when I first saw this movie because that was coming out and some friends were excited. So I'm like, okay, if I'll go see these other Harry Potter movies that I missed. So I watched Sorcerer's Stone at home. Um, and I, I was, I was about as impressed as I could be. Like I, I felt it was like, okay, this, yeah, this isn't bad. There's a lot of great cast members here and what have you. Uh, there's a lot of elements I've liked, but man, my memory is fairly faded because I'm just not as into this world as others are. So I've watched it again for the first time recently. And I certainly have thoughts that we'll get into now, but yeah, as far as my origin story goes for Potter, that's where I'm at with this. I, I watched it. I was like, okay, yeah, that was really long. And then I thought some of them got progressively better. But uh, Brandon, how about you? Where are you with the with the Potter series? I really like them a lot. Um, Scott got me into Harry Potter, uh, believe it or not. He learned it's, it from watching you, or vice versa. You know, I, I when I moved to Los Angeles and him and I worked together daily. We talked movies daily. And I, I heard a grown man say, "Oh, Harry Potter's awesome," and I was like, "What the hell? Like, what, really?" Because I had just I was in college when these came out, and I was just kind of like, hmm, "Whatever." Um, and, and so I caught up, uh, the Goblet of Fire was coming out and he, Scott was really excited about the trailer for that. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then I watched the movies and caught up and I thought I really, I, I kind of respected these first two, but the third one was really kind of cool. And then seeing the fourth one in the theater on opening, opening night was an experience. Um, I believe we went to uh, Universal City to see um them and uh after that I, I was on board big time and then i read all the books too and i liked them quite a bit so i i'm pretty pretty big fan of this uh franchise uh it's 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 weird how well they just work because you'd think like oh, i shouldn't like this and then it's like oh dang it they're they actually are pretty good because they get they get tossed aside as novels even people sniff turn their nose at them as movies they do because it's something that a lot of people like so if a lot of people like it it can't be good right it's just general people stuff but they work for me i like them before we get to scott and yancey as far as that goes we can talk a little bit about this opening where we already introduced some key characters with richard harris as dumbledore maggie smith as that one what's your name McGarnacle. McGarnacle. Thank you. And 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 uh, Golden Eyes Robbie Coltrane as <laughs> <So> I'm haggard. <laughs> right. um, uh, just off the bat, I mean, we're only going to see more and more like you know acclaimed thespians and just seemingly perfectly cast individuals as all these people. And I just, mm-hmm. it is very impressive. I know Scott, you have thoughts to say on this. So we can talk. Let's talk about you, your introduction to this Harry Potter world. And I know you you really appreciate the casting in this film. Well, yeah, it, it's I've I started reading the books in college just on a whim. The first right before the fourth one came out, and I read the first four probably in about two weeks. Uh, the first seventy-five pages of the first novel I was not a fan of. I almost never, you know, I almost stopped right there. But then I decided to jump back in, and I read the next two hundred pages or so in a single sitting. So the books got the book got better. Uh, I like the second and third. I really, the fourth is my favorite book, which is one reason I was excited as I was for the movie. When I first met Brandon, um, as far as this picture, I saw it on opening night. Um, you know, no weird origin stories. I was very much looking forward to it because it 
looked fun, and I like Chris Columbus sometimes, most of the time. Um, and obviously, the casting is ridiculous. Um, and this was, of course, before we expected these big blockbuster franchises to have a murderer's row of talent just because there's nowhere else for them to go. You know, this isn't, you know, 2021 where everybody joins the MCU because where else are you going to go for a hot, you know, three thoughts and a cut, so to speak. Um, but as far as this picture, I have been and remain impressed with how well it, you know, it, it sets up the world while also offering a compelling and enjoyable standalone picture. You know, with, well, I mean, I assume anyone's listening to this has seen the, you know, seen this film. But if this film had flopped and it had only gotten one Harry Potter film, it still ends on a note where the story is over. You know, it's not; it doesn't end on a giant cliffhanger. Well, you know, up, you know, it's it's, you know, the real story has just begun. Um, and the books are like that too. It really doesn't get. Again, this is a lesson for franchise building in general. It doesn't get really mythology heavy till. The fourth one, really. Yeah. You know, where the end of the fourth one, then the shit hits the fan. And from then on in, it's, oh, crap. You know, Voldemort's back. This is now the focus of our every waking moment. But like all good fantasy world-building shows, X-Files Lost, the MCU, it, it gives you, you know, it makes you care about the characters before it gets plot heavy. Real quick. Um, real quick. Just to talk about the, the Dursleys. Yeah, Richard Griffiths and Fiona Shaw, and then Harry Harry, Harry Melling, who's become quite the character actor. He pops up in so many things these days. <laughs> what I do, I have lots of questions, so like I'm going to start with this one. Why are they so mean to Harry? Like, is there something that meets them makes them this mean to him? Well, um, it, it's Harry's father, really. In, in British literature, probably. This opening feels very Roald, Roald Dahl-esque to me. And I think yeah. the sort of meanness of the parents and living under the stairs feels like it's rooted in traditional 20th century British fantasy literature. Um, beyond the tropes, I think to a certain extent, you're supposed to assume that she really, you know, she is the sister of Harry's late mother. Yeah. And from her point of view... It's basically like she loved her sister. Her sister got caught up in this weird quasi cult and ran off to this crazy commune and got killed over it. So now, you know, oh, you know she blames him essentially. Yeah. What yeah, was yeah. that? She blames him. He's the one that survived. Yeah. Therefore, he's the one you can she can blame. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She is the the you know. Uh, and there are a couple beats here and there, especially in this first film, that kind of deal with that. That you know, she she. You know, her, you know, the patriarch is just an asshole just to be an asshole. But, you know, uh, you know, his aunt. And that's like, like father, like son, obviously. Yeah. And that's the other thing is you yeah. find out in the fifth book that Harry's father was not all noble and wonderful. He was kind of an entitled, privileged little dick. Just like Thomas Wayne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that snake evil? Or is this a snake? <laughs> That's the snake, right? Isn't that Nagini? Is that Nagini? Oh. I thought later that that's revealed to be that. That's well, the- Harry, Harry is a Slytherin by nature and can hear snakes and talk to them. But he gets put in House Gryffindor, but he has a lot of Slytherin. Okay, we'll get we'll get to those questions when we get to the hat because I have questions about this Slytherin thing as well. <laughs> um, and this picture, if I may. I love that the prologue introduces three of the four most important adult characters right off the bat. 
mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of, of Snape, who of course you won't meet till he gets to school, you know, right then, the first what 30 seconds of the story, you have the three of the four most important adults and the protagonist introduced, bam, right out of the gate. Is that like the book or does it? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that these first two at least are pretty like slavishly so slavishly devoted to the, to the material well i mean in terms of columbus like what he's not getting i don't think he gets enough credit for is he really turned what was on the page into like like uh set design wise everything really feels like it is on the page like if yeah. you were reading and imagining stuff i mean it's it come to life and it's that's hard to do, especially with a world like what Harry Potter had. You could have tons of different renditions, but this feels like he nailed it, like big time. Yeah. Well, we should talk more about Columbus as we go along as well. But Yante, I don't want to forget about you. Obviously, I, I'm aware. I believe you're not similar to me as far as you haven't read these books. But where are you with this franchise? Uh, I haven't read. I you know I. I hadn't read them. I read the last two or three because at that point I'd gotten caught up with them and became a big fan. Um, I certainly not read them at the point that this movie came out. I was in my mid twenties and working at E um, and I distinctly will always connect this movie and, and the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings with that immediate Mm -hmm. post nine 11 vibe people more than any other time that I can remember, including during this last few years, at that post 9-11, people were so shook up. This and, and the Lord of the Rings were these huge dishes of comfort food that people really needed. And and, and, the, and, the, and the, the culture was a little more sort of, the different strands of the culture were a little more synchronized. So even though I wasn't, a, I hadn't read the books, I'd heard about them a lot. I saw this on opening night, uh, you know, and um, I think I sort of, for a while, you know, I, I it sort of stands in the shadow of 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 the Peter Jackson movies for me always. But that's that's no that's that's no shame. I, I, over the years, I've come to to really like these movies and really like this first one a lot, which was hard for me at the time because I, you know I was never a Chris Columbus fan. I don't think I liked the single Chris Columbus movie before this. I want his movie. day taken away myself. So I was yes. So I was I was not even Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> I never liked any Chris Columbus movie that he directed before this. And so I was sure this wasn't going to be any good. And I was sure conversely that Lord of the Rings was going to be good because there already was buzz from the, the, at least for a few months, there was buzz that it was going to be a tremendous movie. So I assumed this was going to be some sort of Mrs. Doubtfire crass thing. And, and, you know, I, I think it shows, we'll get into it later sort of, but I think, I think it really shows a, how good Chris Columbus is with young actors, because because obviously the, the young actors are all really really good, but it also shows how with Rowling involved and with the level of of, of stellar craftsmanship in front of and behind the scenes on this picture, it's almost like the Gone with the Wind of it today. Like everybody wanted to see this, it, it, there was no way this movie could fail. Chris Columbus wasn't going to fail, you know, and and you know. I'll expand it. I guess we'll talk about it later, but I really think that watching this and watching this movie recently, it not to be the gloom and doom guy, but I felt like, well, this is sort of one of the last movies that really, or the last series, they all feel like this to me. I like the whole, the whole series, but they feel like they were designed to be seen on a big screen. They feel like they were designed to be images first. Um, there's a lot of faces, a lot of moments that we get simply from the look on someone's face. There's a lot of moments of, of Alan Rickman's face, for instance, that, 
if you're not sitting in a dark theater focused on it, you might miss that moment and it tells you a lot. And I sort of wistfully watched this movie thinking, well, this is really, this is the kind of movie that people meant when they loved, when Hollywood meant something so much for so many decades. This is the kind of incredible pro job. Maybe it's not art as an adaptation of a popular book. Maybe itself it's not art, but it's incredibly artful. It's beautifully designed. It's, it's, it's sort of cabinet of wonderment. It's a real, it's a real treat. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. To address the narrative real quick, the the idea that they would be so against Harry opening a letter that they'd go on vacation to some stormy island. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I can't that, think of you, the grandparents in Willy Wonka where they're no, all you, the same yeah, so you mentioning doll that makes that 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 really that snapped it together for mm-hmm. me. Honestly, like now I get it. Now about now I think I'm on the same page as this. Like say, mentioning Roll mm-hmm. Doll that makes entirely a lot of sense as far as the sensibilities of this. And I just said film. sense and sensibility. Okay, to the film's credit, you know, this is this stuff takes forever in the book, and he just gets that right to school. I think in the first what, twenty minutes or so, give or take. Yeah, yeah. We're... Um, and this stuff is necessary because it's character building and it's set up. But it's again in the book, it's not fun because you're just watching this poor, innocent, traumatized orphan be tortured for you know the first fourth of the book. Um. And one big reason this movie works is because Robbie Coltrane is such a warm, friendly, lovable mentor character who's not really a rogue. He's just he's kind of, you know, clumsy. Um, and I remember when the film came out, there was no real serious Oscar talk for the picture. I mean, again, it's not Lord of the Rings, but there was some talk that if anyone was going to get an Oscar nomination on this, it'd be Coltrane. Hmm. Um, because he was such a for this first, one, I can see that. I can, yeah, that larger sense. than life presence in this picture. He's warm. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it comes, you know, the professors are, he's so obvious, so specifically warm. And he comes yeah. at a point here where you've just seen Harry get like, you know, shit on for the past 10 minutes. It's like, God, give me, give this kid a break. And so you have this giant walk in and he's a giant bear of a man who's, mm-hmm. you know, warm and friendly and inviting and brings Harry a cake. Like, yeah. And, <laughs> and then that's that tone is held throughout, right? Like you get, yeah. Every time you stop for a second and Hagrid's around, it, it's like a delight for him. Yeah. When yeah. Hagrid has to sell you on the quote unquote wizarding world before yeah. you go to the wizarding world. Yeah. Like you've got to get this feel like lived in person that also can tell you about it in such an intriguing and bankable way. Also, as far as the, mis- the terrible treatment he gets from the Dursleys and, and living under the stairs. Don't forget, this is, I mean, this is, again, another one of these chosen one narratives. And if you start him in a hole like that, you you get him on the audience on his side. You feel sympathy for Harry just for having had a hard life. This is like the fantasy of a little boy like this, that a giant would come and tell him he's going to magic school. Um, So, you know, it's like Luke Skywalker living on the desert planet and, and and being bored out of his mind you, you you can sympathize with him before he gets elevated to this position of chosen one certainly the most likable chosen one i can think of but but he is paul atreides to a certain degree yeah guys i've taken the buzzfeed harry potter sorting hat quiz i am 36 percent gryffindor oh. 27 ravenclaw 25 hufflepuff 12 percent slither Look at you, Ron Weasley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my my fluffy red hair agrees with you. <laughs> now that we've gotten that sorted out, guys, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, 
What would be his logic of saying, like, Harry shouldn't go to this school. I want him to keep being here so I can be mean to him. Wouldn't you want him to just get the hell out of the house? Like, yeah, there, is, there is no real world logic to that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's I, I think he's right what he, you know, it's just, it's, it's tropes. You know, well, the most important thing, especially as the series goes on, is that Harry remains an underdog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to start way, as, as you said, you have to start way down in the pit beforehand. I actually do like that. And I mean, that's not unfamiliar to this kind of yeah. story, but the fact that, you know, he's never, he's rarely the best um, in a given situation. Yes. Like Hermione's the best. He's a C student. Yeah. <laughs> well, like um, the Dursleys, he's got to go back to them every summer. And yeah, when, yeah. in Mr. Thing. Dursley's position, he's going to be smarter and he's going to be more powerful each time. And he's not going to take their crap like that. Yeah. So he fears what Harry could become uh, and do to him. So it's kind of this weird, torment thing of just doubling down and trying your best to keep it from happening but whether it be a just a regular adult or a magical wizard he's not gonna like that man when he's out of the house and old enough damn that dudley dursley just eating that cake Mm -hmm. (laughs) and as, as you find out you know in the last book i think maybe the sixth book i could be mistaken basically the reason harry was sent there was because Billy Potter's love for her sister had some kind of binding protective spell or something like that. I mean, it's a stretch because it has to be because it's, it's basically saying it's to be emotionally and physically abused every summer. For- or they want him growing up humbled and not like, huh, I'm the chosen no, one. Yeah, that that logic I can understand. I'm the yeah. chosen one. Regardless of protection, I get the, the idea yeah. of like, well, for one thing, it is family, whether you like it or yeah. not, it's family. But also, yes, they exactly agree. If Charlie Bucket was a rich kid who got the golden ticket. You'd be like, "Ah, screw you, Charlie Bucket." You know, like, yeah. Presto, oh. change your mother effer. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was a massively anticipated picture because the books had already been very popular and a big part of the pop culture for a couple of years beforehand. Um, I had like zero awareness of this for some reason. Like, I was so like outside the bubble on Harry Potter. My little sister read them, so I, I knew. That was a you know, of it being a big deal. Um, I read the yeah. I read like the Chronicles of Narnia, like I, those books, and those are older, obviously. But like I, I knew I was, you know, I'm aware of like YA literature. But, Boy, like, those some... made for some movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is a YA literature really when they came and slapped Harry Potter off their lawn. <laughs> I like Don Trey. Hey, the first one did very well. The first one did do very well. It's more than King Kong. Then they became the victim of we're going to try the second week of the summer for that was a <laughs> bad spell for many years. Third weekend of summer. Wait, yeah, third weekend of oh, thir- third weekend. Oh, that's was- that's that second PG third PG one cuts people's heads off and stuff. It's crazy. Prince Caspian, yeah, yeah Prince oh, yeah, Caspian. It's brutal. Yeah, it's a brutal movie. It's a good picture, but it's just it's better. They got, they got I got they got progressively better for me. Yeah, <laughs> the issue is that the line to which the wardrobe was a hit partially because. There's tons and tons of people that only read that book and then never yeah. read any of the other. For, for whatever reason, that's like the the assigned yeah. one you get in elementary yeah. school. It's also a pretty self-contained story. That helps, yeah. Um, um, but you know, as good as this picture is, and again, I I, I believe that a you know Chris Columbus should have got some kind of bonus Oscars for casting in this picture. I mean, not only mm-hmm. did everyone turn out to be a pretty good actor, relatively attractive. Nobody got, you know, screwed by puberty. Right. Um, and they all came out pretty well adjusted, more or less. I know Radcliffe yeah. had a drinking issue toward the end of the series, but he got past that 
in due course. Now he's just a solid actor. Like, yeah, now he's just, yeah. I, I, I enjoy seeing actor. him in things. Yeah, I, I enjoy that Miracle Worker show that he stars on. Like, he's, yeah. He's, he's very fun on that. Um, um, right away, by the way, like my progression through this series, as far as understanding the various characters and twists and turns or whatnot, even when I first saw this, my mind immediately like started working when I'm like, why is this white guy wearing a turban? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's something that that's, you know, obviously when you're dealing with a mystery, it's, it's, it's sometimes easier to hide stuff in the book. Because you're not, there's yeah. a ra- you know, you're not going to have a random close with a guy that you're not supposed to pay attention to, but you do. I, I I do like that the second one tries to mix it up as far as like yeah. Kenneth Branagh is the new defense minister, and like, is he going to be bad guy? No, he's actually like the worst character. Ever. Yeah, it's like the running <laughs> gag through this. Which the, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny. Like the first two books of this series almost feel identical, like to what they they have a very similar structure yes. to them. I think that I, I like the. In terms of movies, I kind of like what the second movie does more, and the finale feels bigger and better. But they, they book wise, the second one's kind of like it's going huh, a sequel. Thing. It's just going like bigger, yeah. bigger. Here we go, another year at the school, and we're doing well, this. It's ironically what Chris Columbus and John Hughes always said about when they were talking about Home Alone Two. He's like, "Well, you make the first sequel, you know, a riff on the fir- on the first film because that's what people want to see." The third one's when you change it up and do something different. Home Alone 2, since I was younger, like that's the first movie I realized like what a sequel does as far yeah. as like like be, just being a carbon copy with like, you know, new new oh. cup, same drink, like that kind and of thing. It's funny because film franchises like this and the emerging comic book universe that was, you know, between then and, you know, the next 10 years so changed the perception of what a sequel was supposed to be that when Todd Films basically made The Hangover 2, which is just the hangover also who was treated as this shocking, you know, appalling thing. It's like, right. you know, when I was growing up, that's what a sequel was. Spy Who Shagged mm-hmm. Me was the same way for me. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, years later by comparison, but I mean, it's still oh. like that was another one. I was like, this is just the same movie, but different and not as good. Yeah. It's the same movie, but terrible. Um, I disagree on that, but okay, you guys. <laughs> I rewatched them last year. I'm still right. There are there are bits that make me laugh, but overall, yeah. I'm just not a, not a big fan. And the third one's barely a movie. Spy Shag Me is better than the first one. I like Spy Shag Me, but better bigger budget helps with those movies. I like that kind of awesome Jewish representation we crave in fantasy franchises. <laughs> is that it's worth? Oh. It's, it's worth. It's, it's one of one of War Davis's many roles in this franchise. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get so excited when he hears those new fantasy franchise filming. <laughs> they need a little guy because I'm right here. I got 12 roles coming up in this thing. Honestly, you know, I'm I, a veteran. I, like beyond beyond <laughs> him, I, I if I'm not mistaken, he does have like a agency or what, like he's a part of a thing that helps like other you know some you know yeah. uh, little people like get work as well in these kind of projects. Very successful and seemingly adjusted, well adjusted dude. Yeah. Um. Here comes the storyline, and it's just generally he's genuinely funny. Like he's a funny guy. Like yeah, that that teaser he cut for Willow is hysterical. Yeah, it is. It actually, his, makes me give that show the benefit of the doubt. His his Ricky Gervais, the thing he did with Ricky Gervais. Which one was that? Yeah. Uh, Life's too short. Was Life too short? It's uh, yeah. it's, it's not on the same par as some Ricky Gervais other things, but it's still it's it's got it's got its moments that are really funny. And then Liam Neeson coming in, right? That was terrific. Then Liam, yeah, it's a Liam Neeson bit. There's a John, well, the Johnny Depp bit's more about Ricky Gervais than Warwick Davis, but still, there's some, <laughs> some good stuff. Well, that's convenient. Harry's incredibly rich. Baby, you're, yeah, Harry, you're a rich man. Harry. He's got a hedge fund. 
<laughs> he needs no money at all. I guess he's paying for his tuition. Yeah, so he doesn't have to. Candy <laughs> he has a guy to second job. While he's doing this. <laughs> uh, I like this locks. This is yeah. I was trying to find comic book movies released in 2001. It looks like this is the year where that didn't happen. No, because Spider Man's the next year. It was just X Men, X Men, yeah. and then Spider Man, and then and then after Spider Man's big, you get like X Two, Hulk, Daredevil. I, know, like, I was just, I was, I was trying to remember if there was like you know one of those like what you know last chance tries of doing something before like you know the Marvel stuff really took over. Yeah, I and it's funny because then he points out that the fact that this and Lord of the Rings could come out not only in the same year but in that close proximity and We're both be humongous is mm-hmm. incredible and this was i mean this got this would be before quick kill was a normal thing too so oh, you know what ghost world that's the one for 2001 <laughs> there it is ghost world but yeah like they're both fantasy but it's kind of best of both i mean you get two different takes on it but also a newer more modern tale and the classic tale everybody wanted to see uh right away and it's just my boy that they're both like this and and, and I, I, quality I similarly, and hits. I simply had no like I've never read Lord of the Rings so I had like I knew it was coming I had like more awareness that it was a thing than Johnny. Harry Potter. That, <laughs> John Hurt. Looking this is like the least John Hurt he looks like, yeah. <laughs> like he looks yeah. you know spry and happy and has hair like this because the whole <laughs> things that are not really John, John Hurt. <laughs> like for when I was watching this the other day to prepare I was like wait is that John Hurt? It just took me so off guard by how like different he seems compared to saltier John Hurt characters. Mm-hmm. John Hurt kept his hair his whole life, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it just you know, look at him. Like, I mean, it's a little, it's a, it, it has a different, he has a different kind of vibe going on here. Um, and yeah, for obvious reasons, the the first two films sort of existed in the shadow of the Lord of the Rings pictures, and yes. if anything, these suffered relatively speaking, for being three-star films released just before four-star masterpieces. Well, it seems like it's well, easy. it would be easy to say, like, this is, you know, The Lord of the Rings are the cool movies. Exactly. You know, these are the, mm-hmm. the, kid, the kiddie movies. Yeah, but it really wasn't until, I would say, until Goblet of Fire came out when this, the franchise started sort of getting, you know, respect as its own towering cinematic achievement. Yeah. Partly because, A, The Lord of the Rings was said and done. B, you know, The Matrix had wrapped... You know, uh, Star Wars, the trilogy had finished. Um, Batman was just beginning. Batman was just beginning. How'd, how'd that go? <laughs> you so celebrating that joke. <laughs> <sighs> um, Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man was like, had the third one coming at some point. That was like, yeah. yeah. The Da Vinci Code was catching on like wildfire. That was so dark, oh, the kind of man. <laughs> Third, the fourth film was successful enough that that's one of those like, okay, yeah, we're finishing this whole bloody thing. I saw the fourth one at a packed midnight screening while in yeah. college, and people were just mm-hmm. like, just, oh yeah, just it was screams and it like that was uh, that was a uh, that was a good experience. I had a lot of yeah, good I, I, I always tell the story because I enjoy telling it. But Brandon and I are sitting there in the fourth one, and Cedric Diggory makes his appearance, who of course is played by a then unknown Robert Pattinson. Batman and, himself. And like half the audience just sighed in lust. It was yeah. Um, oh boy! <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Sorry, I'm pretending that I can. No, and I time. think what like right uh, after Goblet of Fire, like Pirates was the next was Pirates. Uh, Pirates is 03. Oh, Pirates the, was 03. the sequel. I meant the sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then by the time the fifth film came out in summer 2007, it was right on the heels of the seventh book being published, mm-hmm. which was relatively well received. I mean, it's good. It's a good finale. Yeah. Um, but these were I mean this is this decade we were getting these I mean franchises were a thing but they were all of like things we hadn't seen as franchises before yes. and yeah. like or attempts at things and now it's like it's yeah. gone it's, it's, like it's it's nothing it's like well they're doing another, another this another that or desperation like what's well, people 10 people might know what that is we need to make something off that I mean it's 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 you know, it's, it's, I've been whining about this for years, but you make more money off the first Harry Potter than the next Harry Potter. And that's the example I always use is that, you know, with the arguable exception of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, none of the, you know, Harry Potter-ish side YA fantasies that came out afterwards were particularly successful. And when I guess you're not. Did, I guess it's more sci-fi with like the Hunger Games. Is like the, the Hunger Games, but that's more well, that sci-fi. Was, well, yeah, that's, and that, that, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> well, he's, that going you know, he's going after Percy Jackson. <laughs> well, eventually, yes. That's a detour. If you want to know how good this film is, watch, watch Percy, Percy Jackson, Jackson, which is literally a checklist of everything that could have gone wrong with this film, but didn't. Um, to a shocking degree. Same director. I mean, it's still Chris Columbus. Um, but, you know, uh, seven years after this film, we get the first twi- uh, Twilight picture which becomes the next big YA sensation by being absolutely nothing like Harry Potter. Then four years later, Hunger Games comes out by being nothing like Twilight. Um, and I, I, on one hand, you know, you have to roll the dice and sometimes you're going to whiff, but you know, you're not going to make Harry Potter money with the Spider-Man Chronicles. Or Divergent. Or, Ar- or Aragorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only reason that movie didn't get sued by Lucasfilm is they're probably both Fox films. And you know what, though? I was a fan of Spiderwick Chronicles. I liked that movie quite a bit. It actually is. That's one of the better ones. I yeah. Think. yeah. I mean, no, nobody, nobody saw it, but it's really yeah, yeah. good. What's the, what's the underground one of Bill Murray? City of Ember? Isn't that one supposed to be pretty good? Yeah. That's one with Sir Ronan. Yeah, with young okay. Sir Ronan and like Bill Murray's like a corrupt mayor. Which was like much that. better than her would-be Twilight film, The Host. Mm. The Host. Yeah, yeah. That may be one of the worst... Of the this movie. whole twenty years of failed franchises. Oh, what was that the, one good the, one with uh, Aaron Reich, uh, Alden? Oh, Beautiful Creatures. Yeah, beautiful Creatures. The, nobody saw it, but that beautiful was one creatures. of the better. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's one of the best. Yeah, it can't I mean, be fun. I'll, I mean, I'll defend the Twilight series, relatively speaking, but Beautiful Creatures is genuinely good. Yeah, uh, I will say the Spiderwick Chronicles does answer that age-old question: What's Andrew, Andrew McCarthy up to? <laughs> Who's the core of the kids in Spiderwick Chronicles? <laughs> I don't. Uh, Sarah Bolger, I think, is the girl. The I think daughter. it's the kid who played Norman Bates. Um, yeah. And yeah. The good doctor? The good doctor. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I'm yeah, really wrong. It's Freddie, Freddie Highmore, yeah. Because I know uh, Mary Louise Parker was the lead. Yep. The, the new Charlie, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie Highmore. So it's thirty minutes, thirty-one minutes, and we're finally getting to like the train to go to school. Um, 
And this is where we get the other like warmest character that was like a sigh of relief for me with Julie Walters coming in. Is oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You think this, uh, this Ron's mom? This train station would be fully CG nowadays. I was just thinking probably like I, I'm like there's such a genuine feel that like I feel like they shortcut and be like yeah we don't need to go to those trains or we don't need to block off a train station or build one. This feels more like Close Encounters than it does a movie that came out last year. This feels like <laughs> mostly still shot on real sets. It feels like this, it's not leaning on CG as if it has to. You know, yeah. it's not trying some like fake old filters or lighting to make it feel just a little more. It's like it's they, got a real grounded look to it. And, and I mean, all of these, I mean, obviously they get more and more heavy just based off technology getting better. Yeah. And just the things that they're required to do. But they all have like a sense of well, wonder. I mean, is what it is. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. definitely in this first one. I mean, watching this last week, I was not necessarily astounded because I've seen it. But I mean, it is impressive to be like there's so much like feeling to all of this and a lot of that comes from john williams terrific score for this movie but also just it does feel like i'm watching this kid discover stuff and i don't have many of those movies in recent times that feel that way and that's obviously a big key as to why so many people locked into this well and it was like oh, oh i it looks like you'd be like i live here like i can go there you know and it, it doesn't it's not a like a uh Looking makeover version of it that's supposed to look extra glamorous. It it doesn't look like it's all grimy and crappy, but it's just like I don't know. It's authentic, like rather than trying to embellish on it or the magical, magical subway or whatever. It's just you know is what it is. A different movie. A different movie would have him run into the wall first, and he like fails, and then he does it again, and he gets through. Mm -hmm. And I almost thought that it would do that. Like, oh no, this way, this is a better movie than that, so it's not going to do that (laughs) that joke. Well, there's a certain sincerity that wouldn't, you know, that doesn't require that kind of. I mean, you're right. Obviously, this is a yes and comment, but it is sincere. It it doesn't apologize for its fantasy. It doesn't think it's too cool for school. It doesn't have the. It, I was just thinking, would Harry, if somebody was conceiving of this today, would Harry have to be more like a Marvel character? Oh yeah, yeah. No, he'd go. Where? Your name's your name's Flipping. Dumbledore, and you're the smartest person here. <laughs> just, just meeting all Dumbledore. the things that are supposed to be wondrous with a quip, which is what they do in Marvel movies. It may be sort of slack jawed quipping, but it would still be a quip. Isn't that a character? Would he be? I mean, and Harry's a timelessly sweet character. He would be the hero in 1940 if the book was written in 1940. You know, I think a lot of what she's a controversial figure at the moment, but a lot of what we're looking at here is this J.K. Rowling sitting in a library, or whatever, typing up this world just like george lucas where everything is connected in in an organic way it just feels like the kind of thing that sprouts from someone's imagination who's, who's very gifted with this kind of thing and that's i think what really makes these special what makes it harder to judge the actual qual- i was thinking about this too i knew we were doing this commentary so i think what are we going to talk about for her for two and a half hours with harry potter and part of it is trying to judge where does the value of this stand apart from the book um because as you're saying the first two are really explicitly uh, strict adaptations. I, it should mention that it's the screenwriter for all but one of these is Steve Clovis, who is a great wrote one of the, wrote and directed one of the greatest movies of the 1980s, *Fabulous Baker Boys* with Jeff Bridges and Michelle Pfeiffer, and he also wrote the adaptation of *Wonder Boys*, which is a great movie. I love *Wonder oh, Boys*. Yeah, yeah. He, he wrote all these except for uh, the fifth one. Um, <laughs> one of the better adaptations. <laughs> And fifth, the fifth actually works really well. I, yeah. I, better I, than the book. The fifth yeah, one is better it's than the book. It's my least favorite book and one of my favorite movies. 
The, the tone doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't break the tone because I think Rowling yeah. is probably the the, the ace. Yeah, you're, you're you're four movies in. You got to feel yeah. for how you're doing this at this point. It certainly feels like it, it, having not read this particular book, this movie feels like uh, a, a lot of things you would want to see with your own eyes in a movie. You know, after you know, if I I'm sure there are a lot of things. I remember The Onion had a headline, didn't they? Sort of a joking headline at the time about you know nerds are arguing over what's going to be better the, the 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 first quidditch match in harry potter or the the minds of moria in lord of the rings that was the sort of this dismissive arguably as good as each other <laughs> like the quidditch never works for me it's the one element i like the quidditch. see I'll, I'll say this the quidditch is what locked me into this movie <laughs> i was like okay i'm in i'm into what's it. going on here but like <laughs> hey all right a cool sports match this is fun like, I, I never again having never heard of anything about this like you know it's like there's wizards that's the extent that I knew of like, there's a sports involving. How old were you in 2001, Aaron? What? How old were you in 2001? 15. How was this? And you're a big movie fan already. This was the biggest movie yeah. in the world when it came out. How I just this? didn't, I just didn't see it. I was just, well, you know, it was what you guys were seeing like ghosts of Mars instead. I guess that's awesome. I saw ghosts of Mars. <laughs> I see other things here. Let, by the way, let's go talk about this real quick. Cause we have the court trio assembled. <laughs> we have the, we have the tray of the wizarding triumvirate right here. We have, now we have Daniel Radcliffe, um, What's his face? Rupert Grint, Rupert Grint and Emma Watson. And Emma Watson. I would say, <laughs> because I was watching this again, I think Emma Watson is not very good in this movie. Um, <gasps> I think, I, I think she. Telling. I think she gets better as she goes along. Aaron hates would, all the girls all the time. Don't. I would say she's the weakest. Where I think here, honestly, I think Ron's maybe the standout character of the of the three of these in this first one. Well, you I mean, guess to have fun like that's yeah. I don't think I remember not having fun. They're all different Emma types, Watson, of course. He's older. <laughs> he's a little older than the rest of them i what if i but i mean it just, I was just it was just something i was noticing i thought rupert grid seemed like the best actor of these three in this first movie yeah um, I, don't, I, I don't think emma watson ever is is that terrific i think the character is is sort of she's so well cast that we love her for this character but i think of the three of them she's sort of the least impressive going through the whole series well she certainly was the first to say, okay, do I really need to finish these? Because I can do other stuff now. And she sort of had to be deadly coerced to, you know, come back, you know, to, to not ditch it. I'm surprised they wouldn't just have us have a, a contract for the whole series. Well, I, I think they did, but I, I remember <laughs> this was part of the publicity of, of when the first film was that Chris Columbus, when he was casting all these young kids, you know, the most important thing was he would talk to their parents and said, look, if they want to quit, will you let them? Oh. Uh-huh. Because he obviously, you know, he saw what happened with Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure many other child actors in his, you know, his circle. Well, I'm sure um, uh, Emma Watson was like, if Richard Harris can get out of these, then so can I. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, imagine it was that miserable making these. I was telling you guys about this offline like for some reason november just like i wasn't seeing a lot because i saw heist i saw the one but i didn't see harry potter i i didn't see uh spy i didn't think i like tony scott i didn't see spy game in theaters i saw i saw behind enemy lines for some reason everybody saw behind, <laughs> enemy, behind lines enemy lines for some reason harry potter and the searchers maybe it was just busy on thanksgiving i don't know i don't know what was going on you know, you know what's funny is we we always talk theaters for a while yeah, we we always talk about Hollywood trying to chase like to find since Star Wars happened the next Star Wars and it took forever and then here you go you in 
you got two within a month. You got Lord of yeah. the Rings and Harry Potter. And that's because, you know, they were there's like a chase for, you know, all you had was like probably Indiana Jones that went. And that's does that count? Because it's the same guy um, when you're mm-hmm. trying to find something without using him to be that way in the 90s. Once at once and keeps doing like Stargate and all that. But they find it twice within a month. I saw Oceans right away. Like that's a movie I couldn't wait for. I saw the trailer oh, yeah. all, all summer. I saw that. Trailer. I, was like, I, I see the adult see movies. <laughs> I was a 15 year old there, and I it was like a monster hit too. I knew it was a hit, but man, oh yeah, buddy. it was huge. Um. Anyway, back to this thing. That was yeah. back when there was room for both. Yeah. Yep. Counter programming um, worked. It yeah, that's right, it did better. Yeah, spy game it. opened on Thanksgiving weekend after this, and still opened with 30 million bucks. Ghostbusters Afterlife money. (laughs) (laughs) This film uh, broke the opening weekend record by a lot. It opened $90 million in its first three days. Wow. Which was noticeably higher than the $74 million Friday Sunday slash $92 million Friday Monday Memorial Day opening of the Lost World Jurassic Park. Uh, It kept the record for about six months until Spider-Man shocked everyone and became the first $100 million opener. Well, they love that song. They're like, we got to stay to the end of the credits. <laughs> and you, know, you want to talk about movies that were became indirectly part of the post 9-11 zeitgeist. That's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was always going to be big. It was a Spider-Man movie. They, they say they, that a Harry could save us. <laughs> it just, yeah, well, you had that New York aspect to it among yeah, Oh, yeah. It oh, yeah, that it. was, and, yeah. And it was just likable. Like, it, yeah. It's such I mean, a gee whiz quality. Nine Eleven was an inside job by Sony to get that Spider Man <laughs> to, to hundred million dollars. Get our podcast canceled. Uh, you think they're far more confident than I do, Brandon? <laughs> what I like about this scene, and you enter the dining hall, is like those candles are real and they're just on strings. Like, I mean, yeah. like it's it's yeah. like it's there's a practicality there that's just really entertaining to me. It's like, oh. yeah. They just did it. They just did it the right way. <laughs> the whole thing would be a would be a, a CG be a green screen, yeah, green screen. And it's funny because we're not really talking about them, but the movies that were coming out at the same time were the Star Wars prequels, yeah, which I love those. But those are the ones that set the standard for you know movies that were just completely lousy with uh, green screen. And, and even though people said they didn't like them at the time, they certainly were influential on the look of movies for the next. 10 or 20 years. Well, yeah, and, fil- filmmakers know what to look for beyond the public. Yeah, they yeah. know what to adapt to. You have to be George Lucas to, to make it, yeah. make, get an idea for those to be so busy in a, in a good way. But, but interesting. So this, you would, I would have thought that the Star Wars, the first Star Wars prequel would have had the biggest uh, opening, but it didn't, it must have opened on a Wednesday or something. It opened on, it a, opened a, Wednesday. on a Wednesday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It made 105 million, which is a record five day opening. But the yeah. three-day opening was $64 million just behind The Lost World. And if you want stupid trivia, Urban Legend says at the time that Lucas and Spielberg made a bet. Spielberg bet that Star Wars would beat Lost World. Lucas bet that it would not. And the loser had to pay for both of their families to go on vacation together. Oh, wow. And, Spiel- and Lucas won the bet because he bet against his own movie. I mean... Oh, so he put it, it on a Wednesday. I mean, look at... Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's not. I mean, people like dinosaurs. I don't know why that needs to be an underrated thing, but look at fucking Jurassic World. Like oh, yeah. how much money that movie made. Like people, people haven't even Fallen Kingdom also crossed a yeah. billion. I mean, people like dinosaurs like as well. I thought they were so hungry for it. I know. I just I feel like people want to underrate like the idea that dinosaurs could be popular, and it's like these movies. There's a reason why we still have Jurassic movies. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, despite that, the Phantom Menace did do 431 
domestic, which was still one of the leggier blockbusters of the last 25 years. Yeah. Uh, it stuck around. Some of that contract, you know, because of contracts, because it was forced to stick around in certain theaters, but people did show up all summer. Um, I remember catching it like late in the summer again. I, yeah. I was like, yeah, go check out the Phantom Menace again. Let's um, um let's talk about Alan Rickman for a second because we're just getting a little more Snape now. Um, the, we've you know this film is pretty incredibly cast. There's so much work he's doing with just facial movement in this because of how like little he has interaction with what except when he's like purposely trying to be intimidating. It's never not impressive <laughs> to see how like how into this Alan Rickman seems and how like how much he seems to grasp exactly what this character requires. Um, he told him a little bit more about the character than anybody knew, right? At the time. Yes. That's the story that she actually told him the whole backstory way before you know the books came out. Hmm. I don't know if that's he's true like, or not, but he's, he seems pretty he's trustworthy. As much as you guys are diehard fans, I think this is a signature role probably going forward. Oh yeah, and it was it was multi gen. You know, it was it was multi generational nostalgia in that sense. It was like. Ironically, casting Emma Watson as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, where you get the people that, or, you know, casting Jim Carrey as Robotnik and Sonic to a certain extent. Um, Kids can't yeah. shut up about Sonic the Hedgehog. They're just running <laughs> down the streets <laughs> yelling about Jim Carrey's Dr. Robotnik. Um, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, I read these books, you know, I read them in like a, you know, a two week scrap. I read them during the brief time when Tim Roth was going to play uh, Snape. He had been cast. Oh, yeah. It was was a done deal. But one reason or another, he chose Planet of the Apes. Burton's Planet of the Apes. Um, To his credit, he is the best thing in that movie. Oh, yeah. The the Planet of the Apes. Yes. The Um, best one. That film almost broke the opening weekend record a few months before Harry Potter came. Yeah, it made a t- it had a huge yeah. op- it was front huge people <laughs> love the dude, Planet of the Apes always does. I'm surprised we yes. aren't swimming in so much more Planet of the Apes stuff. Yeah, that you said that it always hits well. People like um, apes. I know they're Disney's working on something, but yeah, well, yeah, they got Wes Ball of the Maze Runner mm-hmm. movies. He's attached. Yeah, um, which, I, which excites me. I, I think he does he's good with his stuff. So. But yeah, I, I, I Tim Roth would have been fine, uh, but I do think Rickman bring obviously he brings a certain ha ha. It's the guy from Die Hard, and you know Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Sense and Sensibilities, Alan Rickman. Thank yeah, you, exactly. Galaxy Quest. <laughs> uh, but I also think you know, especially as the films go on, there's a certain almost warmth, even though he's basically a cad for most of these pictures. You, know, you you almost give him the benefit of the doubt in a way that I don't think you would have as readily for either because you don't know who Tim Roth is or you know him as sort of a you know a supporting player in nineties indie indie gangster film. Who's generally evil. Yeah, <laughs> guy. I mean Tim Roth is like a guy like you knew from like cool movies, you know, that was pretty much But, but that's I mean, Scott, that gets you to as again, me not knowing any of this, watching yeah. Azkaban and having Gary Oldman cast as Sirius yeah. Black, obviously I had a very specific thought of what he was going to be. So it was really nice that it turned out he's not only like not a bad guy, but like the other warmest character in this yeah. franchise. Like, that's I, re- I really like that. Almost specialized in doing is you had British actors like David Thewlis and Alan Rickman. And, yeah, and Thewlis is another one. We have a John Cleese cameo roles. going here. Here we go. 
who <laughs> instead cast them as the the the, the instruments of empathy, for lack of a better word. Which and the movie kept pulling that on me. Like yeah. I kept not realizing that that's what they were doing. They were finding yeah. specific British actors that I have a very specific image of and making them like the nicest guys. Yeah, and honestly, the only, you know I, I think he's fine. It certainly doesn't do any harm. But I I always felt that Joe Ray Fonz was kind of a lazy choice for Voldemort. Um, I think he's good. It works he's great. He's, great at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, he's very good. But like when he was first announced, like oh, they, okay, that's not surprising. But whatever. Um, but I think it's to their credit because they realize that while while Voldemort is an important character, he's not going to take over the movies. So you need somebody that can you know play to type because that's that's what he does. You know, there's he's not a particularly deep character. He's not a terribly complex villain. He's a racist asshole. At the end. That's why I was excited he, that it was Ray Fiennes. I like yeah. I like Ray Fiennes a lot. And he, Nobody sees better than Ray Fiennes, and he sees yeah. was what he does. So yeah, this is before I saw the picture. So like, oh, okay, that uh, I guess whatever. But yeah, he's he's fine in Goblet of Fire, and then he's barely in it until uh, the seventh film. Yeah. Well, I love that they pick up these like big name British actors and stuff, and then they go back in the shadows for a couple scenes for the rest of the. But like Emma Thompson, yeah. she comes in, and then up, oh, she's just a couple What's scenes here and there. Yeah. Um, like Jim the Broadbent, films- and uh, yeah, like. I was so so many Mike Lee actors. Yeah, it's great. I was Mike Lee actors, British actors. There are. I always kept wondering how the you know the English actors that didn't get picked for these movies felt. (laughs) Neeson. Yeah, like what? He's not what, Brosnan. The Brosnan's not English. He's Irish, but still, he Brosnan. Well, he was in well, 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 Rowling settled on English and Irish actors specifically. That's like exclusively yeah. cast that way. So. Neeson like lives in, he's lived in America for like yeah. 30, 40 years though. So it's like he's he's not he's not doing no Harry Potters. Or he went to Mad Eye movie, right? Neeson. Neeson could have been Hagrid, but kind of a dumb Hagrid. Okay, yeah, I, I mean I could yeah, based on his height. That'd be the reason they cast him that way. Mad Eye. He could have been like, Mad Eye. Dalton could have came in here, you know. Connery was gonna no, oh, that's the other one. Connery turned it down if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, didn't even ask him for this one. Probably. He always says he turned down the Matrix because he didn't get it. Then he turned down the Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand it. So when he read the script for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and didn't understand it, he said yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I I'm surprised that Colin Salmon didn't wind up in here because he was that yeah. during this time, like I was. He was always rumored going to be at this time. Roger Moore could have been the Brandon. They clearly had a three black person rule on all these movies. Oh, yeah, so. all right, there you go. Yep. Well, he <laughs> could have been that. one of those three. He could have been one of those three. <laughs> No, they had the kid, and they cast nondescript people as his parents. <laughs> like, and that's it. That's, mm. that's how we that's how we do it here. Because I mean, Colin Salmon was uh, strongly rumored going to be next James Bond around this time too. Yeah, yeah. She's a cat lady. That's fun. Not a great effect, but it doesn't lean on effects like that. It's a quick one. Yeah, it's you, nice. You forget work. about it quickly after it happens. Yeah, it's a nice Willow move. Yeah, it is a Willow move. That's right. Yeah. I mean everything like their their outfits instantly iconic like just it's so crazy how quickly this hits. You're gonna get a you're not gonna get a but you maybe but you're gonna get just deluxe treatment. Everything is gonna be visualized beautifully. That cast is gonna be no no spare no expense cast. You know and mm-hmm. it's 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 yeah. So one one thing I like is the classrooms feel like cramped classrooms. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a very claustrophobic set. And obviously that's somewhat intentional because Snape is supposed to be very imposing. Mm-hmm. But it still feels like a cramped 
you know, overcrowded classroom. What's Sorry, the, I interrupted you. What's he the professor of potions? Uh, potions. Right. And he wants to be the dark arts professor, but he obviously <laughs> that's what I kept thinking. It's like, why is he not the dark arts guy? <laughs> well, it's a running gag that he always wants the job and Dumbledore never gives it to him. And then at the end of every book, the dark arts teacher is either the bad guy or, you know, as the case with, uh, or, or just involved in funny business. Mm-hmm. So of course he finally gets to be the dark arts teacher in part six and spoiler things go badly. So I, what I was going to say is so Columbus directs this, but he's not like the first choice. Spielberg is the first choice and he's like I love the logic that he's like this is too easy for me to do like that was the reason for turning it down well, he like, was shooting Vanilla Sky at the time he could yeah. <laughs> he's filming his cameo <laughs> he was with Crabbe and Crow for months perfecting his character it doesn't need Spielberg it doesn't need something no it does I'm not saying it does but I just like the idea that Spielberg is he's so confident that he would crush this and it would be no challenge Terry Gilliam wasn't he running which would have been a bad idea but well, but it's Spielberg, they're going to want him to do all seven books, and then he's, it's going to disappoint yeah, he people when he leaves. Yeah, that's yeah. that. That's one so, aspect. But like he wanted, like, and what his ideas? He had obviously he had Haley Joel Osment was in there, and then he wanted to do like animated, I believe. Yeah, he wanted to make an animated adaptation with Haley Joel Osment, and Rowling said no. <laughs> that's probably his out. <laughs> like yeah, I know she won't like this. Be. That's his get out of jury duty card right there. Yeah. What if I made an animated movie with my with my my American boy Haley Joel Osment? <laughs> No, thank you. Next, um, oh. you have you have among others. You have Terry Gilliam, John, Jonathan Demme, Mike Newell, who would do it. Wolfgang Peterson, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, I know, was pretty close. I feel like we got well. close in the series to somewhat Harry Gilliam or Terry Gilliam aspects yeah. with things. Definitely, but Not I a, think actual Gilliam would have it would have been. And Rob Reiner was already past the point where he wouldn't make any more good movies here, so we're lucky he didn't do it. Terry Gilliam is like <laughs> if we if he did fan, one of these Fantastic Beast movies, it might save the franchise just by making God. it remarkably different. Yeah, <laughs> the last time he tried to stay on the ball, it was like the Fisher King and Twelve Monkeys, which were his only big hits. But he had to be a good boy on those. I'm trying to think of him. He needs oh. something else. I mean, yeah, I know Twelve Monkeys is like that was like an astronomical hit for him by comparison uh, to everything else. One of my favorite movies of all time. Two movies in a row because Fisher King was a big hit. He was, yeah, Fisher King was a hit. Yeah, box office for five minutes there, and he's like, "Look out! People are seeing my movies." Ah. Yeah, fear and loathing. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I've I chosen my next you. project, uh, Brothers Grimm. <laughs> Even you know, Johnny Depp's like, "Oh no, people saw Donnie Brasco. I have to fix this." <laughs> Mike Newell again, right? Um, I, but uh, his, uh, um, Ivan Reitman, uh, Brad Silberling, who does one of these, he does so many snickets, right? So, yeah, um, Shyamalan, uh, which makes sense. I can see that as far as why that'd be happening at the time. Um, Peter Weir, that's an interesting one. Hmm. Peter Weir would have done all right. I think Columbus, I mean, obviously, I like the films so where it worked out, but we knew going into it that he could do the interpersonal relationships between the children. Yeah. Which was arguably as important, if not more so than the spectacle. So then it was just a matter of making sure, okay, as long as the spectacle is competent and, you know, with the producers and the amount of money being thrown at it, it probably was going to be. So then you knew the most important element was already accounted for. Just to a certain extent is, you know, Marvel's thinking for that higher bunch of, you know, comparatively, indie directors that they know can do the character stuff, knowing that the action's taken care of elsewhere, if need be. Um, Before we keep this going, because I want to keep talking about Columbus, who who's this professor? Hooch? I don't know. Isn't that... The, she's only in the first movie, right? 
That's what I was going to ask. It's like, who is this actress that plays this? Zoe Wanamaker, the son of Sam Wanamaker, who Nicholas, whatever, plays in in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The guy who plays the who owns the Daily Bugle in or the Daily Planet in Superman Four. That's his daughter, I think. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. there was something that happened at the time. There was some kind of a conflict. She wanted more money or something, and they just kind of ditched her. Hmm. Seems pretty instrumental here. You're teaching him how to write. She's a, clearly a, the star of this film. The movie right. has just begun. <laughs> uh, back to Columbus. Uh, I mean, Scott, what you're saying is that is you know right as far as like how what what it is you get out of like having him involved in this. But it is impressive just how staggeringly good this is by comparison to like other things that he's. Ever, I mean, he's Columbus has like a. He, I mean, his track record. Obviously, there are people that really like Home Alone. I'm not going to take that away from anybody. I'm not the biggest fan, but I, I get it. And you know, he made the sequel to whatnot. Then you have Doubtfire, which is another huge hit. And then it's what? Just kind of like you got nine, what, nine months, months and Stepmom and Bicentennial Man. What Stepmom's a makes money, right? Doesn't yeah, it? it's a solid. I mean, the reviews aren't great, but this was that, back. That was before. one of the when you bought a DVD player, you got to pick like four movies to come oh, yeah. through with it, and Stepmom was one of them. Bicentennial Man was a bomb, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, like a big bomb. Nine months was that a hit? Did that make money? It was a hit. Okay. I mean, it, it didn't hurt that you know about a month before the came out, Hugh Grant got caught with a prostitute. Yeah, which is became the very biggest pop culture story leading up to the release. Is Robin Williams in all of those? Well, he's not in Stepmom, right? Unless he's uh, a cameo that I don't know about. Exactly he's, he's, like, he's, like, he's like the doctor in nine months, right? He's like yes. a yeah. He's like a cameo. And oh. he's Doubtfire, so he's just in all of these. Probably wanted him for Harry Potter or something. Make him Hagrid. <laughs> he wanted that part, apparently. Uh, he wanted Hagrid? But again, Rowling didn't want anybody who was, mm-hmm. you know, American. Yeah, and Rosie O'Donnell wanted some part. I was reading this IMDb. She wanted some part too. She sort of assumed she could have a certain part. Nearly headless Nick. Um, yeah. But Yancy, I mean, looking at this, I mean, I guess I like Adventures in Babysitting apparently more than you do, but this is, yeah, this, that's a, not a lot of like for me with Chris Columbus, even especially after this, too, included with Rent and yeah, great Chris material. Yeah, and John Seal, you said, the cinematographer. I doubt he ever had John Seal before. That's no. Battle, you know? Mm hmm. Great script, great material, great actors. I mean, this is the best movie he ever made by a war. You know, I like the second one too, but this is, you know. He, I agree. Yeah. If he had botched it, they would have gone on somehow. But the fact that he didn't is very, you know. Everything came together really well for this, which is impressive. <laughs> they really put a lot of care and effort into it, you know. And it's not like, I, I mean, it's not like, you know, like Bison Sentinel Man is not a good movie, but I, it's not like he didn't put care into something like that either. It's just like this, the stuff here. Everyone put care. This couldn't, they couldn't fumble this. They had to do a great uh-huh. job. People had a lot of writing on this, you know? Yeah. Someone probably paid out the ace to have the rights to everything. So that helped. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this broom stuff and leading up to the Quidditch stuff a lot. Like, it just so locked in on this stuff. Well, in the movies, I don't mind Quidditch whatsoever. Mm-hmm. My issue is when you read the books, <laughs> I found almost to a T that you'd be going along and they'd be about to discover something really interesting <laughs> and plot related, or they'd be about to discover something, you know, a plot twist or a reveal. And then, oh, wait, off to play Quidditch. Like, no, I don't care about Quidditch. Go back to the library. I want to know more about that mythology that you just discovered. 
but it felt like a stalling tactic. Well, this is like an intro to it, so it doesn't really count by yeah. comparison. Well, it's 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 yeah. mm-hmm. and the quiz match in part I think three is fantastic. Oh, and the Dementors get involved. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's um, that's why I was so disappointed in four because I got three this peak Quidditch match happening with Dementors in the background, and then four is like now there's going to be a whole tournament, and I'm like, great, <laughs> and they walk into a tent, and that's the end of the tournament. <laughs> I don't see, <laughs> see any of it. <laughs> Bastards sitting there midnight showing, not seeing a bunch of Quidditch happening. <laughs> I want to Quidditch. Oh, here's a question I had that I meant to get to when I got to the Sorting Hat thing. These houses, why is there a house devoted to, like, just the bullies? Like, how does this work? I, I, I just don't, don't get this. <laughs> like, you can't discriminate. You know. <laughs> like, well, it's, it's, like, basically, the, like, the, the alt-right house. Like, everyone's so evil in Slytherin. And I, I love in the in the last book slash last movie where, you know, the big battle starts, and they literally lock a fourth of their students in jail, you know, for, with, you know, what if they were in jail on account of what house they were in and their jail got blown up? That would be many a lawsuit. As McGonagall likes to say, the school will have to close. And I know this happens because Fantastic Beasts has introduced me to the very involved municipal system <laughs> and, the, and the law <laughs> and everything that's going on there. Uh, now that's fun. But no, to answer your question, I have, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a house devoted to just the bullies? Yeah. Like, I just don't understand. I think, to be fair, it's one of those things that when this, you know, when the stories were first written, they were supposed to be just fun books for kids, and, and, and they weren't going to be dissected with an inch of their lives. To be the kind of dumb thing that makes sense in a kid-friendly fantasy world. Yeah, but um, then you have to commit to the bit for another six yeah, exactly. books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um. The second book I was actually quite fond of, not because it was exceptionally good, but because just upon starting the book, it was immediately aware that, oh, I like these characters. I'm happy to be in their company again. And it was, you know, more of a just an episode of the week, which I think by default is why it's probably the weakest movie. Um, because it is the one that's not really essential to the ongoing mythology and really isn't just a character piece. It's sort is of any, between Scooby-Doo type thing. Is there any Voldemort in that one? Yeah, well, you well, yeah, gently. It's a ghost of him, and you learn yeah, more about his past. But the second one, the special effects, I would argue, take a quantum leap in terms of quality. Oh, they do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, not, and, unlike, not unlike Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. It just jumps yeah. up. And the action finale is genuinely scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a giant monster that they're being chased by, and it's shot like a horror film. Yeah. I'll be now that I've watched this first one, I might as well like watch the rest of these just to see him again. They're only <laughs> wonderful. You might as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not yeah, it's oh, not like I'm poor it's Aaron. Not, it's not like I'm punishing myself. <laughs> oh. But like I'm but I like I started the story, it's like, I want to see where this goes, even though I know where it goes, but I still want to like revisit this. But uh, I'll do Scott, I'll do one better as far as the second one. I like Dobby. Like that Dobby thing. Oh, yeah, Dobby's movie. fine. 
Well, see, like when I when this was the when I started learning more about this as I was kind of catching up, people apparently hated Dobby, and I was like, really? Like, watch this yeah, thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I really like. They were this just Dobby. trying to do a Jar Jar Binks. It was all CG yeah. character, and they were just trying to sort of roll it into that sort of hate storm. It didn't really work. Fair enough. I just I couldn't escape the idea that Dobby was apparently like a not liked character. Where I'm watching this second one for the first time, thinking this I like this Dobby. I like you. I like his arc. I like where he goes. I, I genuinely felt bad for him when he dies in the, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the second when he dies. Yeah. So much so that I had it as a background wallpaper for a while. His little shriveled body. <laughs> Dobby, Jar Jar, and Schmeagle. That's our CGI friends of the early 2000s. Nobody could say shit about and the, and the And their dad, the Scorpion. <laughs> yeah. When did that come out? That was 2001. That's 2001, yeah. When Dwayne Johnson rode a camel. And The Rock as the scorpion. <laughs> oh, dead fair. John Hanna. Uh, That's good. I remember that. I was so naive and stupid about the way Hollywood really worked that I thought, hey, I bet Odette Fair is going to get a spinoff of this film. Hey, he got everybody to star in, thinks he's cool. He got to star in some Resident Evil movies, so he has yep, that he going did. for him. Yeah. Introducing Freddie Both and The Rock. As the Scorpion Chief. <laughs> they couldn't advertise that movie enough. And I love the cast role every single time they play it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I talk about that a lot because, you know, it's, it's a clear case of them understanding why the movie worked. That people like these characters. So we say, okay, they're all coming back. Even the ones that you think wouldn't come back. They're back. Yep. Brendan oh. Fraser, Maria Bello, Jet Li, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you cry. Oh, jeez. The Mummy in that. I still have to look up that title because it's so generic. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Aaron's are favorite. You, are you sure? I'm always sure. I'll never forget Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I say that enough times, I won't have to Google it next time. I wish they made it longer. The Mummy and the Tomb of the Terracotta Warriors. <laughs> Is that another Warwick? Warwick Davis is back. He's got more Warwick. I think it is. Warwick Davis back. That's that's it. You can can see it in the face. It's there. It's him. It's multiple checks. Yeah, because he's the the gardening professor, the horticulture, whatever you call gardening. (laughs) Warwick Davis, right? The one who does a little little fist pump when something happens later in the series. Just something about this, these movies. I don't know what it is. They don't feel like they could have been made in the last few years. I don't know. I think the 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 the, the, the changeover to watching things on phones and TVs is inevitable. Nothing you can do about it. I helped that become a reality by renting videos in the 1980s and by buying physical media. But this just feels cinematic to me. I mean, a, a, a lot of our more practical or physical. Or movies nowadays they 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 look flat and then yeah. the block big blockbusters don't look like they know how to shoot for the big screen that's and you don't have to watch it you don't have to keep your eye on them you can turn your head away and listen for five minutes so you won't miss anything whereas this you'll well, miss that's what, like i mean you take a movie like tarantino's hateful eight which is secluded in a cabin a cast yeah. stuck in there but that's one of the most interesting movies to sit and just stare at. Like, it's crazy. People forget, the, 
it, it, might, it might seem weird to people someday, but you forget, people forget the practical fact that you're sitting in a huge dark room in front of an enormous screen. You're, mm-hmm. It's a hot medium, as they, as, as they say. You're, you, 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 it's, it's more real than real when you're watching a giant movie in a theater. You see, you're seeing details. You're, you're a brain mm-hmm. floating in a jar watching this alternate reality, you know, and it just isn't comparable to watching it on television. Well, and also, quite frankly, even when you're in a theater, I mean, watching something on film, not to be all snobby about it, it is, yeah. you know, you, you have more, uh, you know, it's easier to keep, stay attention. It keeps your attention. Yeah. You have to flick, 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 up. I mean, you know, it's a good film. And I'm sure I would have loved it regardless, but I, I saw Licorice Pizza on film a few nights ago and, and I found myself just unusually attuned to it. Yeah. Well, there's more depth in it, too. Yeah, and like, and I and, think part of that was because it was I was watching something projected on film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's that. Plus, I mean, you and Brandon have both brought up like you know two of the <laughs> the best contemporary directors that are working. Right now. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. well, <laughs> that's a like, to, like watching the French Dispatch feels yeah. the same way. Also, I well, mean, to yeah. bring it, to bring it back to Harry Potter, there's a lot of people that argue that oh, it was a good movie; it should play well in anything. Well, true, but there's also ones intended. Like part of it is the experience. Like I remember. Once gravity came to home video, see, I'm tying it into Harry Potter. Um, like people are bitching, I don't get what that was about. I'm like, because it was about being engulfed in the <laughs> damn space while you're in an IMAX theater with 3D. Like, yeah, yeah. it was Avatar, about feeling. Avatar's a pretty good example there too. Yeah, you're not gonna get that sitting two feet from your television. I don't care. Like, it's yeah, Avatar too. Like that was about this big encompassing thing and just being like, wow, I'm, I yeah. lose myself in there. Granted, yeah. Avatar is also the one of the biggest selling Blu-rays of all time. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you know, but for the I, record, I've watched years, Avatar a couple times at home. It still works. Yeah, I watched it recently. It's yeah. still it's still a good movie. I watched like, the third act on an airplane. And I still enjoyed it. <laughs> Cameron's good at that. I remember. Well, you're not wrong. I mean, there are films. You know, for example, you know, Ghost Protocol. That film yeah. is just a religious experience. And that was one of my favorite IMAX movies of all yeah. the time. Is Ghost Protocol? Yeah, that's my favorite in terms of. The, the, the IMAX footage specifically. When I when he climbed that building, I yeah. had like butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. Like I was really high up. Like it was crazy. That's the funny thing too. Like listeners know that I rewatch a lot. I really like rewatching yeah. stuff. I don't mind it. I don't watch the stuff that I see at IMAX all that much. Like I like there's movies I absolutely love, like Gravity, like The Dark Knight, like movies that yeah. I just don't watch at home very often. Just it's like I don't there's no reward for me in the same way that it's rewarding for me to rewatch certain things. Like it just, I, I don't like, I don't not like when I watch it, it's great. Like I don't, I don't mind it, but yeah. it's just like, there's, there's, there's an aspect there that doesn't make me feel like I need to revisit this in order to get something out of it. Like if I do, I'll, I'll be fine, but it's like, I'm much happier rewatching a lot of other kinds of things compared to these ones that I got this amazing IMAX experience out of. And that was what we were seeing a lot of last year for obvious reasons, where we had these films that were clearly intended to be seen at least the first time in a theater. Mulan, Wonder Woman 84, uh, News of the World, Array and the Last Dragon, uh, to a certain extent, The Midnight Sky. Yes, I know it's an IMAX movie, but humor me for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yes, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to see Wonder Woman in a the theater the first time. I was lucky enough to see Mulan right before everything went to hell. And that absolutely impacted my you know, quote unquote critical analysis because there are films in which, you know, warts and all part of the experience is supposed to be the experience. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's what Tarantino's viral thing the other day yeah. was on what Stephen Colbert talking about the shared communal aspect that goes along with being, you know, just watching a movie. Which makes him an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, right. I think one day it'll be seen weird. We're sitting in it with a bunch of strangers in the dark. It's uncomfortable. I don't like that idea. And having emotions with strangers in the dark over this fake story. I I can see why society moved on from that being the sort of central hub of the culture. But man, when I was... When all through for all four of us were younger, it's hard to explain how movies just had. It's much better when I'm not looking at the screen, looking at my phone, tweeting with people, sharing it. That's much I better. I remember about 10 years ago, I was at a friend's house and, and she had a roommate and I was watching over the roommate's shoulder as she watched Return of the King on her laptop. And it was a crappy copy to begin with. And it was stuttering and freezing every 30 seconds. And I was just thinking, boy, things have really changed. And if I ask this person, Tomorrow, whether she liked it, would you say, "Oh, I didn't really like it that much"? Who's is that? The at that point, you know, I don't know. I wonder, you know. And you know, it's 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 that's one reason I tend to get grouchy. One big reason I tend to get grouchy about certain Netflix originals, which yeah. is that they are. It's not. It's one thing if they were okay. This is the new directed video, and you know, whatever. But these are films. Some of them very expensive that are attempting to emulate the conventional Hollywood blockbuster. They're attempting to replace the conventional Hollywood blockbuster, yet they are constructed in a way to be even more passive experiences than even just sitting in a theater watching a movie. Strange. You know, something yeah, like the, the, the idea yeah. that it's building in the, the, the component of people might not be paying attention yes. to this whole thing is a very disturbing right. to me. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's, it's offensive, <laughs> frankly. That's a huge mortal wound to the movies. And people talk about movies being in trouble or dying. That's what they're talking about. And it, it bothers me more that it's not just that they're designing them that way, but they still cost $200 million. <laughs> like yeah. that's, it's like, if you want to make a, you know, a $10 million movie that appears to a certain kind of logic, I get it. But like, if we you know, can make enough bad movies, people won't watch movies and they'll watch our elongated yeah. movies like, that we when, call television shows. When you're matching the GDPs <laughs> of certain small countries, that's when it starts bothering me. Like that's the expense that you have. But this, they clearly in this movie they're not using CG unless they have to. The big yeah. troll, you got to use CG. Doesn't look that great, but whatever. Watch the Black Widow, Black Widow the other night, the Scarlett Johansson movie, and I enjoyed it perfectly well. But they use CG every chance they can. When two characters fight for two seconds, it goes to a CG. I still don't quite understand why that has become the norm, and I still feel like one day this whole block of twenty years of movies is going to be is going to be like people making fun of it because why does it? Why does it? Why does it have to be so CG heavy? You know, and, and I don't understand. Uh, I'm sure Scott has a a take on that. But well, I mean, cynically speaking, it might have to do with certain industries that are more unionized than others. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, Disney's especially. You have a yeah. There's a house. That you, it's interesting that you know you can you can pull out certain things as far as who's responsible for what, right? You can see certain cinematographers and you can see what they lean on. You can see directors, what they lean on. You can see the visual, what visual effects companies kind of do certain things. I can recognize a Weta thing versus an ILM thing at this point. I did. And I do think the, the Marvel product and the star, like there's a, there's a consistency to how those effects look versus like the DC films. Like they have a distinct look when it comes to their use of visual effects. And I, I do think it, for better or worse, is affecting the way people see things and what they're used to and what they like to see and what they want to keep seeing. 
Well, you think people would really a movie like Black Widow would that have been less popular if it had less CG, or would people have complained, or young people have complained there wasn't enough CG in this? Movie? Would they have complained? No, but it's like you know, it's rhetorical. Like it's a hypothetical. It doesn't really. It's that the fact is like we've made, really we've made we've made twenty of these movies. We're going to keep making it this way. It's 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 like a diseased CG. I got, I was delighted as hell by Jurassic Park and Terminator Two, but man, it's really marked up all the big popular franchise movies. They're just so low. It's, it's, it's the same as it ever has been. It's all it's, you know. It's a tool. And some people use it in a certain way. Some people use it another way. And it's but a it's, fight. A fight. I certainly think part of it is also because it gives theoretically it gives a lot more control of the post-production process yeah that's exactly why i mean that's that's why it, you know you see like avengers endgame behind the scenes when none of them are wearing the costume and they're all just wearing dots because they can put the costume on them later it's like <laughs> that's what, if you're making it if you're making the phantom menace you're making this huge crazy world that doesn't exist with ten thousand weird aliens in the background fine you do the green dots but black widow is just a james bond movie i mean you don't need all the dots well, I, I think the issue for me is always I don't mind CG, even for stuff that probably shouldn't be practical, as long as I can't tell. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, something like Mad Max Fury Road, you know, yeah, okay, that's probably mostly practical, but I'm sure there's CG there. But you know what? Damned if I know which is which, sure. because my eye was fooled. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, we keep bringing up, you know, examples of the best filmmakers that are using it. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's like, it's not a, you know, Star Wars, Mad Max, I mean, Avatar. Like, I mean, the, yeah, there, there's a consistency to it because they know they know how to use these tools also. Like, they, they know the way that it makes the best sense when to utilize it and how to incorporate it. Fincher's a great one because they, you really can't tell when he's. Oh yeah, he's great. Like, oh yeah, because uh, honestly, Nolan, Nolan is very good at that too. Like, there's yeah. a ton, there's a ton of stuff you cannot tell like where it is because it's not reliant on it. I mean, you know, those are those are grounded guys too. They're not guys that operate. Zemeckis in his prime is exact is the same way. Thing. How did they do that? That was supposed to be part of the fun, especially this kind of movie. God, how did they do that effect? Yeah, Zemeckis. magic Zemeckis. of movies. Yeah. Zemeckis is still Zemeckis is still that guy. He just doesn't make. Oh yeah, I mean, Allied is that. I mean, like, yeah, Forrest Gump was that way. It's hugely magical yeah. element of these news cat news old news reels, you know. By the way, guys, the Quidditch match is on. It's awesome. Just- <laughs> <laughs> Scott's favorite. I am. So, I don't mind him in the movies. I'm so into this. <laughs> it doesn't feel like. It doesn't seem like what's happening. Is if you just keep your eye on Harry and his part. The rest of the game isn't important. Is the problem? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm not going to argue about what the rules like how this works. Where it's like I guess they just keep scoring until like one of these two guys catches this other thing. Like that's weird. Like, it makes I mean, about as much sense as those sing offs and stuff for the dance offs. It's like like cricket movies. Cricket's similar to that to some degree. Like yeah. I mean, this is a combination of a lot of sports. Like I, and you know, flying brooms. <laughs> and the rules are very wishy washy as far as what bounds are and everything. Like, but. I don't know. I just like the look of this stuff. Eber dug this. Eber was all about this Quidditch thing. <laughs> yeah, footnote. Let's not forget. Eber gave this movie an A plus. The, the, both of the first two he gave for you. Like I remember yeah, when, when As- B. I remember when, right. when Azkaban came out. He was like, oh, "This is not as good." I'm like, "What?" All right. <laughs> he didn't like one of the Phoenix all that much. Yeah, H poop. He was doing. He didn't like the angst. He liked the, the sweet innocent, which I can see. Yes. He hadn't read the book, so these were just movies to him. Lord of the Rings, he had read many and times. And since Ebert so he, doesn't understand story, he's like, these get darker? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I don't know overall. I mean, I still sort of think that the that the 
the, the, the finale of the series is a little bit disappointing. And even overall, I don't know how much I like now that we have some distance, I don't know how much I respond to the whole, we're going to wipe out the muggles, pure blood sort of Nazi element that comes out in, in, in the later. I like the later ones generally more than the early ones, but I don't know whether you, you don't like the, the progression of the plot to resemble reality. I want that woke stuff out of my Harry Potters. <laughs> no, no, it has all this witchcraft. It's not that. It's just I, especially the, especially the the, the the Deathly Hallows. I feel like, and this has been said, of course, but I, something a little more than just Harry and and Voldemort pointing their things at each other, which uh, which leads me to another point that actually is positive. It's pretty amazing that they can get away with a series where the foundation is really people pointing sticks and saying things and, and, and they can pull new things out that we haven't heard them say before. And that'll actually fix whatever problem they're dealing with. And if you say Avada Kedavra, you die instantly, but no one says it because, because it's, it's forbidden. It shouldn't work. But even in these big battle scenes in the later ones where everyone's firing their wands at each other and shouting the magic things, it does. Which is, yeah, I, I dig it. I dig the, there's this, there's a weird, like, well, I think part of it is because these films were never, it predicated on convention rarely predicated on conventional action sequences hmm. you know there's only it, you, you, it's not till the end of the fifth film you get a big battle royale between a bunch of wizards shooting stuff at each other which it's a much i mean yeah it's, i get what you're saying but it's also like this is a movie where they have wands they can fire stuff at each other you kind of want to see them get into a battle to some degree <laughs> like well, i don't want to not i'm, I'm surprised happens. but it works because couldn't you just shout i mean you know technically it shouldn't work that you, that, that i don't know all the spells that exist and they pull them out constantly. Well, I'll say these two words, and it'll make this not happen, or it'll conquer this problem. Never, it never actually is a problem for me watching the movies or, or having read the later books. But it should, in lesser hands, that would have been an issue. Yeah, but that's the kind of stuff where I mean, that's that's trying to nitpick. Like when you think about it, like I, I'm, I, not, I'm, just, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying, like in terms of like the 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 concept of someone like looking at this and being like why don't they just say this it's like well that's hindsight type of stuff like i don't know what the mindset of a practiced wizard is in the moment when they're fighting another giant wizard if they just know what words to say or if they're just going off of instinct i mean it's just like i i just and you're saying this too you just kind of accept it it's like yeah this is some of the most brilliant world building short of tolkien and george lucas i mean this, this is this is really watertight world building um you know this is the end this is the ideal i think people who are world building worlds out there right now you want to build something that says as as scott said you want to come back to it so much this as, is a as, mm-hmm. this is a return of the jedi thing right the speeder bikes like the way he ah. kind of like rams into him like that that's, oh, what, this, that's yeah. what this feels like this feels exactly like that just the way they're kind of ramming into each other and why wouldn't you? That seems fun. Why wouldn't you not want to echo that to some degree? Oh yeah one of the greatest action sequences in cinema history yes I said that, yes, and I mean it. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, yeah, like I, I see it uh, now, and I get excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sound, man, that speeder bike sound is half of it. Oh, that's, oh yeah. yeah. Ben oh, Burt like crushes Bert it, crushes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing Return of the Jedi special edition in theaters, got 25, you know, 20, whatever years ago, and it was the first time that I actually found one of the space battles to be kind of scary. You know, just genuinely intense and claustrophobic mm-hmm. and and fr- not frightening. I wasn't like, you know, but it was like it was intense in a way that I wasn't used to because I, I had never seen that scene on a big screen. Yeah, like when those were coming out, like I was excited to see all of them, of 
Wars, but there was a part of me that was like, I cannot wait to see the fucking battles and the speeder bikes and the mm-hmm. space battles yeah. and Return of the Jedi in a big screen. Like, I was yeah. so looking forward to that. It's like, March is here. Let's do it. Let's go see Return of the Jedi in a theater now. It goes once a month. They came out month to no. Yeah, January, February, March. And they dominated the box office. Well, well, they were huge events. It was wonderful to see those again. Like, was Star Wars was again. still in the top, like, in the top three when Empire Strikes Back came out. Like, yep. Yep. That, oh. I remember that trailer, created that teaser trailer. That trailer, yeah, that teaser just did, like on the little tiny oh, TV, yeah. and it just blows yeah. the fuck up in the next week. A few new surprises, yeah. <laughs> that was wonderful. Mark I mean, Hamill, for Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Odette Fair. <laughs> <laughs> for perspective, the first Star Wars Special Edition opened with $37 million, which was the biggest opening ever in January yeah. and bigger than any Star Trek movie had ever opened to at that time. Wow. They were not predicting it to be that big, as I recall. It was, it was a shock that it was so big. Mm, no, I, I pegged it. I was better oh, at the, predicting than oh, I was back then because I actually interacted with human beings on the regular. I mean, it made sense. The hunger for Star Wars was unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were still in a time that you know this was just you know a little over six months after Independence Day, where a film on the size and scale of Star Wars, even you know 10, 15, 20 years later, was still an automatic event. Yeah. Was there a big? Th- what was the big thing in December of ninety six besides Jerry Maguire? Mars Attacks. Yeah, Mars Attack. Yeah, which nobody saw. Uh huh. I saw. Oh, I did. So, I saw it twice in theaters. As did I. I, I've got over this. My my mom and I oh, could not wait to see Mars Attacks. Then our commentary next month. Comforting too, the no, next month I can I can say it right now because I already know what it is. It's the Matrix Reloaded, so we can finally finish oh, yeah, the Matrix obviously. trilogy. <laughs> that makes sense. If I do that Peter second movie, because we naturally did the third movie first, then the first movie on for no apparent. Oh no, because it was like March 2019, right? So it was like, yeah, let's do the first one now. That was now also 2001 Reloaded. No, 2003. Oh, okay. Yeah, that will be our next commentary. Peter Paris has a lot to say. Yeah. Oh, the uh, big movies. Beavis and Butthead do America was uh, and was, Scream uh, coming to Blu-ray. Beavis and Butthead, Beavis and Butthead did better than Scream <laughs> um, for in, a weekend in the opening weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you had Michael, you had Jerry Maguire, you had Daylight. Michael, <laughs> remember <laughs> movies like Michael? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Mother. Great movie. Just race, oh, they're yeah. racing out. It's a wonderful <laughs> movie. Jeez, Jerry Maguire was a massive hit, though. That one it was. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. Daylight happened. Mm-hmm. Stallone is back. Avita. Avita was big. Yeah, that opened Christmas 96 and went wide early 97 alongside the modern classic The Relic. Oh, yeah. Larry Flint. The, the, rel- the Relic's been on our commentary list as far as like things we can it's eventually get totally to. Totally down commentary. Oh, yeah. I just watched that several months ago. It still holds up. Yeah, the Relic's fun. Yeah, it does. The Relic, it does. Oh, yeah. A fun monster movie. Penelope Ann Miller, she was great. Tom Sizemore as a heroic lead. Hey, it works. Wild One times. <laughs> he was uh, the poor man's George Clooney back then, remember? Yeah. Him and uh, Arkin, they were the. We can't get George. We only have eight bucks. What do you think that? What do you think that R stands for in his sweater? <laughs> I don't know. We know Ray. 
Ray Skywalker. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, Ray Skywalker. <laughs> Still too soon. Yeah. I like all the, I mean, it's easy for, but like the eating scenes are fun in these movies. Whenever they go to the hall and you get all the giant food and everything. So I was going to say, I really like the way it's always sort of Christmas and Halloween and the, you get the school year seasons. It's very, yeah. Very sweet and comforting vision, at least until it, and I love them all, but you know, we, that, that, that formula only lasts the first four movies, I think. And then basically it's sort of all hell breaks loose, but I think it's like, yeah, I think they all somewhat go through i don't think they go through all seasons and all of them but they'll hit seasons up in other ones because he's i mean it's not till deathly hollows that he's like not at school at all yes it is nice how it it, like you can somehow that like they arc these plots around the school year like that that seems like Mm -hmm. that could be a gimmick that gets old very quickly but it just really works for like everyone that's tradition that another another old british tradition is the story that's sort of Harry Potter school years is 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 a, is a big tradition going back where that's really every book mm-hmm. is sort of the next year in some in some young man's schooling as he comes along. I like how we have had Elizabeth of uh, the Invisible Man technology down since like the what the forties like that just right. like that's <laughs> it's like Hollywood nailed that right away. It's like yeah, we got it. <laughs> we can make things disappear. <laughs> we can make Chevy Chase disappear. Exactly. Yeah. The 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 the, the most extreme example. Like this stuff where you can just like show body parts. Like, yeah, we nailed this way back. Like <laughs> that we're done. Specs in that first one are not pretty effective. So these books. Now I've brought this up before with, with you guys and with other friends, and I'm always oh, shot down. I'm because, fine. But do you given the amount of money that would be there, do you really not think that they're going to remake this series at some point, either as a television series where each book gets 12 episodes or as not a- for a long time. Yeah. It would be a long God, time before they, because we got to get these guys doing the cursed child here soon. Yeah, so much money to be made in doing this. As I said to you before, Adam driver as Snape would be its own phenomenon. He'll be too old to play Snape when it He'll happens. Be too, yeah. And he uh, and he just he would say no because he doesn't want to do this stuff. No, he's <laughs> done. Yeah, he is done. With- <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you 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 you, you re- recenter my faith in in in, in humanity because I feel like somewhere he's right also now, not English, so he'd be you know J.K. Rowling would say no. We <laughs> make this, and you also have the angle of saying you know it's certainly not particularly diverse casting. You certainly could use that argument to say let's remake these. But that's what you'd expect. You just expand the universe. You wouldn't remake the movies. How do you, as as we've seen, it's this story that is so compelling. No, I mean, it's I, their I kids. To, it's their kids. You can't, um, you, people are going to want to see these. Again, we get farther and farther away from the original creator and, creator and people think it's not a big deal, but it is. The, Harry, the ones that she, that are based on the book she wrote are always going to feel more special than any. Yeah, but she's in, you know. she's been involved with the screenplays yeah, and she'd stuff be, heavily. She would still be there. Piece, so it's <laughs> yeah. not like she's... But I, I believe she's. They, have they fully kicked her out of these Fantastic Beasts movies now? Or I know, I know she's not invited to the reunion. Yeah, she's not invited to the party. They don't kick. They're, they're hers. She writes. She's writing those, and she, she can't. They can't kick her out. It's a fun spot for Warner Brothers to have to deal with. That's for sure. <laughs> I'll say this. I'll say this, and you still like it. But I love how. The Harry Potter movies get the excuse that well, there's so many people that work on them. It's okay. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. but some other filmmakers and stuff that may have questionable or bad things, they're not allowed to have that. It's, it's yeah. I mean, obviously you guys know this, but it's just no, there's no deal to be made. The fact that she's said these troubling things, it doesn't matter. She thought of this stuff and not everyone. In fact, almost nobody can, is this clever with this kind of stuff. We have to just accept that these people are irreplaceable. Same thing. People were so mad at George Lucas for less scandalous reason, but the same thing. Patui, thank God he's out. And it's like, no, you can't, you really can't do that. And the farther you get, the more special those first six Star Wars and the first seven Harry Potters are going to seem because they're the real yeah, deal. But, it, but it's not like, it's not like these other Star Wars movies didn't make money. Money is not what I'm talking I'm talking about. The kind of elite. I mean, that's what you're talking about with this Harry Potter things. Like, do they need? Are they going to remake these movies? No. Like, why? They're still making money. They're still making profit on the franchise without know, doing this. Further, the amount of stuff that people all like. You have. This is one of the only things that people. I mean, I don't know. I just can't imagine. I mean, the only the reason I bring up money is like that's the symbol of me accepting that people still like this stuff. That's how you know. It's the, it's the fact that they're paying to see these other iterations of the world, whether it's Fantastic Beasts or just going to the theme park or going to the Cursed Child stage show, like any number of things. Like there's nothing that's proven to me that they're clamoring to get another version of these books as of yet. Will it happen way in the future? Maybe, but like it's too like this is it's as iconic as watching those Star Wars movies at this point, as far as who's specifically tied to these characters right now. And honestly, when this series ended in 2011, right. You know, arguably before Disney went and bought Lucasfilm, I was under the impression that, you know, as the years went on, that Harry Potter would sort of replace Star Wars as the sort of the top of the pop culture, you know, iconography mountain. Now this was back in 2011 when Marvel would just, Oh good. Captain America made 370. Yippee skippy. You know, a year later, the Avengers would change that equation a little bit. And, but obviously, that, you know, that, that, to a certain extent, never really happened. A, because Disney went and bought Star Wars, you know, maybe started making more Star Wars films. But, you know, by the time this film came to a, you know, the series came to an eighth film conclusion, I thought, okay, this is, this is, this was and is the Star Wars of that generation. Yeah. The other factor is these are well regarded. Like it's not like yeah. there's a there's it's not like they botched any of this. And they're like, we should really do another try at this. It's not like they dark phoenix this because they didn't get the thing right. Like they they it's not just that these were successful, it's like they were successful because people showed up, but also people liked what they saw out of them, right? I mean that that has to play a factor in why you're not amped, you know. <laughs> Oh, it's not like like gold like Golden Compass is a great example. Golden Compass failed, <laughs> like both flopped and it's like this weird thing that didn't represent the books that we have. And so now we have this HBO series that's that's properly adapting these stories uh, to whatever extent that is. I would hope that's true that the affection for these movies themselves are strong enough that they can't be replaced. But I just worry that people want the. Re- the repeated experience more than they want a new experience. As we learned with star Wars, some people's biggest fantasy is to take their children to the same exact thing that they were able to go to as a kid, but it's gotta be new also. And I just wonder if at some point, I think this is not diverse enough. And the argument that you could fit in more, I'm sure from the book, if you did 12 episodes of it, how, how can that not happen? It just seems like that's just the the cycle. The other other, other thing is might, Sorry, go ahead. The other thing is Star Wars came out in 1977. These movies aren't that old. I mean, by comparison. Yeah. Yes. And even, you know, when The Lion King made a good, you know, 95 million in 3D, that was still 10 years ago. That was still when people went to the movies just to go to the movies. Now, I do think now there is, as we've seen, people would prefer 
you know, legacy sequels versus straight up remakes and reboots. Uh-huh. And that gives you the advantage of not having to directly be in competition with the previous installments. If it stinks, whatever. You could ignore it and not count it in the continuity. If it's great, then it's now part of the continuity and it gives increased monetization to the existing stuff without having to spend the money to remake them all over again. A huge but test also, of this mm-hmm. a huge test of this is gonna be that Lord of the Rings show on Amazon that comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Since it's not Harry Potter show now that HBO is working on, right? Here's the thing with that is that, you know, by the time you would air something like that on HBO Max, would there be anyone that isn't that would subscribe to HBO Max just for that that isn't already subscribed to HBO Max? Good point. I mean, that's how that's a general issue with Disney right now is that, you know, oh, we need to put, you know, more Pixar stuff on Disney Plus and more Marvel stuff on Disney Plus. Like everyone that's subscribed to Disney Plus for that content has already done so. Yeah. And retention is incredibly important. But when you're stock is getting its ass kicked because you only added 2 million subscribers in a quarter retention is only going to get you so far that's why I don't understand the economy when it comes to streaming services yes, especially with well, Netflix I've been bashing my head against the wall for the last year and a half I, I just doesn't, it doesn't compute to me how how, how, how there's profit to be made like as, yeah. you know, these largely ad free streaming services where you just like have everything that you want um Again, you know, if I'm being conspiratorial, I would argue that it's a giant alibi to justify corporate consolidation, <laughs> that they created a new ecosystem almost out of thin air where only the very biggest could compete. And if you're not among the biggest, you need to either latch yourself onto one or get bought by somebody bigger. But yeah. Talking about this movie a bit here. Um <laughs> We mentioned John Seal earlier. It really is the great look. Like just watching this scene of this owl flying around this area, like you know, whatever is real and whatever isn't, the camera knows where to be. And <laughs> I, you know, you, you see, as you've already mentioned, like these blockbusters that, and Brandon, you brought it up too. These blockbusters that are you know shot like sitcoms. <laughs> it's yeah, it can be very tiring. But here you have something that, like, look at this scene. Where it's just people at a library, but there's texture. Like there's, I always, there's just, I there's always credit Yancey with saying, "Man, they used remember when they used to shoot scenes of just people talking." Interestingly, mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't. I said that. Yeah, you've always you've I've quoted you many times on that. Oh, and honestly, that's one of the reasons I think I like the Jurassic World movies more than a lot of people is because I find the conversations, both content and how they're staged, to be relatively compelling. You know. Those, yeah, you go for the dinosaurs, but I also think that the films have their share of very old school, interesting actors having interesting conversations about interesting stuff. No, beyond like Spielberg still having whatever involvement yeah. he has, it doesn't seem like that franchise is, with the exception of maybe three, because it's just cut down to the bone to be an action movie, which I don't mind. Yeah. That that series doesn't seem to have forgotten that, regardless of the spectacle, it is still you know people debating stuff in a lot of those movies, which you know more or less effective. Sure. This movie is just all it's it's and I'm not even an expert on cinematic language. I didn't go to film school, but this movie is all it feels I have this theory that I'm sort of working on in my head that we think about the different eras of movie making. We think about the 30s and 40s and then the, the, the 70s being New Hollywood and then the 80s and, and 90s and all this. But it, it's still feeding itself and it's standing. It's still the people who made this movie have seen all the classic 50s and 60s, you know, John Ford and John and, and Howard Hawks movies. And, and and it's a dialogue that is continuing at this point, at least. 
and it's been severed since then. And I think that 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 the adherence to that language is it's just it's interesting how I mean something ought to come along and take its place or not, but when we talk about it, people go, "Oh, well, you know, you're, you're elitist, or you're, you're full of it, or it's, it's, you know, you're, you're being exclusive." And but it's, 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 it's. I guess it's that I'm sort of bloviating here, but it's, it's, it's that, it's that idea of movie magic. It's, 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 it's the way people are talking that's shot interestingly, and it's the fact that you wouldn't pass up a, sh- you wouldn't pass up a chance to make the shot interesting if you could, because you got this captive audience on this giant screen, and, and, and. Who knows where I'm going with this? Well, well, I mean, I do, I, I do think. I mean, the things that stand out continue to stand out, and I don't think that changes. And I know you don't necessarily like the way I bring up the idea. Well, it's like I don't, I don't believe that there is this mythical time when all movies were always great. I think it's the. Ever, I mean, I mean, an argument, Aaron. Nobody said that. Nobody said. That I don't think you're not saying, but I mean, but in terms of like where we are you had, now, you had, you, had, I, you had a time. Think about it. Think you had you had a time in the in in classic Hollywood where the movie studios were owned by these artist producers who actually wanted to make great films and make movies into a legitimate art form. And then, you know, whatever happened in the fifties and sixties, and, and they kind of lost the tune. Then in the seventies, we have New Hollywood, but it's still really continuing the idea of making this medium in, into an art form. And even here in two thousand and one, you still have people who were around for New Hollywood. All the people who are working behind the scenes were trained in that same system and they're not making, you know, Chinatown anymore. They're making Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but they're still making it with a connection to, 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 to movie history that I think has been somehow severed since then. And we, and, and it's, I guess we'll see how damaging it is overall, but it feels like you can I talk. I think it's about disingenuous it. to say that like the people making movies now don't care. Not that they don't care, but it's, it's not, it's it, it, it's not that they don't care. It's just that that that, that there, there is a severance between this is this movie is still having a dialogue with Alfred Hitchcock and it's having a dialogue. Let me with- let me put it this way. I mean, we're talking about a movie from two thousand one. What are the other like? What are what are all of the other two thousand one movies that stand out? Or are there really just so many? And that's what I think we get now. We only get mm-hmm. so many movies in twenty twenty one that stand out. Not all of the twenty twenty one movies. And oh. I do think those, those are the filmmakers that do care. That do like something like I don't know, fucking the, the, the as far as blockbusters go, The Suicide Squad, where you have James mm-hmm. Gunn making a movie because he's influenced by various things. He's well, carrying on those influences today. You you also have the advent of technology technology making things more easily easier to do easily accessible less people studying in the craft learning certain things and a lot of these bigger productions the second unit is run by someone else with not necessarily the director's full vision intact to handle those but and i'm not saying that's the case with everything but there's i mean there's more kevin smith's around than there are tarantino's you just can't. My theory is you can't keep the machine running endlessly without the original experience firing it. Without these movies are still on TV all the time. I mean, some channels run these cable channels run these nonstop, twenty four hours a day, and the Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings and and yeah, it's I don't know. Going back to what Aaron's saying about it, there's no a time when everything was great. Well, of course not. But but this is this movie is a, is just a richer experience than, you know, a modern, 
yeah, I don't know. It's the same old argument about 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 about, about content versus art, and is it, people are watching it on a screen. As you said earlier, if it's a good movie, shouldn't it hold up? And I actually think that's true. I mean, I can watch this and enjoy it. But I mean, I watched a lot of great movies on VHS growing up, so I sound like a hypocrite when I'm like, you should see it on the big screen. But um, it depends what you have now. Like, if you have the ability to watch something properly or better, take it. That's give it the best chance it has rather than throwing like it on your it, phone. If you watch some old movie and you don't like it and you watched it on your computer, there's a possibility that you, you didn't give it the chance. To, Dude, to Lord, Lawrence of Arabia becomes a whole nother movie when you see it like on like 70 millimeter projections. Like it's yeah. great on VHS, but it is incredible be, to be in a theater, even on 35 millimeter watching that thing. Just it's different. I, I different area, and it's people different think era. I'm a people think you're a snot or elitist or well, you play gatekeeping by saying that, but no, it's the truth. Like it's not. I'm not. I'm sorry that people don't have those opportunities, but if you do take them, take give that. Like I didn't. I didn't care for Vertigo. Well, go see it on the big screen. See if that changes. Like there's nothing. It's not movies are the most mainstream. Everybody loved the experience. There was nothing snobby about that. It was just mm-hmm. second nature. We were yeah. so used to it. It is the kind of thing where when you, you know, don't like something that has a certain kind of legacy to it, you do have to wonder, it was like, well, did you give it the right chance? But even then, yeah. you, you want to question that because it's like, well, I'm not trying to force you to like something. But at the same time, if there's a certain kind of regard to a thing and you're saying, well, I didn't like it, is there just a chance that, that maybe there's a maybe there's a different mood you can be in when you watch something that right. would like change, just alter your perspective just a tiny bit? Just well, if I'm in a crappy movie and I was if I'm in a crappy mood and I was planning on going to see a movie at the theater that day, I might I probably won't go see it because I'm in a crappy mood. Like even if I want to see really bad, I want to give it its best chance. And I don't know, people don't, people don't watch movies like we do, of course. But there's the the people that are like, I have. Please support watching it the crappiest way possible. Like, or I, like, again, I want it free. I, a, I want it free, 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 for free, for free, free. People, like, it's. I had a roommate this is back in the, who who only watched another. She only watched the Lord of the Rings movies on the Oscars. You know, the big two tape Oscar screeners that came out. She would watch a three hour Lord of the Rings movie on TV at night by herself, and the only comment she would have was that she could tell in certain scenes that they were using real little people and it wasn't actually Elijah Wood. That was her only comment was that she had outsmarted the movie mm. on that little level. She'd heard it was a great movie and she's like, aha, no, I found this one thing that I, I I'm smarter than this one element. Well that, done. Every, that is how everyone treats movies. Now it's a movie is my opportunity to find out where they messed up and I don't get it. I'm going to say, well, I'm going to find out well, I'm going to tell you why it's not great. You should hire me next time. Speaking of antagonists and being in a bad mood, you know who else is pretty good in this movie? Tom Felton. He does a good job. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's I real think, good at being a shit. Yeah. I mean, I... I He's <laughs> terrific in the last few movies. He is. He, He's so good. I just and I, Watching this is like, if I had to guess, and I looked it up and I found out for reals, but I, if I had to guess, he clearly auditioned for Harry Potter and didn't get it. Probably even auditioned for Ron. Um, so I feel like that energy comes through in him being antagonistic towards Harry. <laughs> I think it really works. I think he's consistently good at these. And yeah, he matures quite well as far as the conflict that comes with being this kind of character that's not exactly evil, but he's not exactly nice. And like Tim Roth, he was in Planet of the Apes movies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know where this trope comes from that exists? This is a trope here that exists in Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Harry Potter, which is where the big villain has been killed, but not really, and maybe sort of gathering their strength and maybe coming back at some point. That's, that's, I, that, 
that it's not in the Bible, I don't think. So I don't know where that comes oh, from. Oh, like Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> Just like somehow Voldemort he survived. But he's not really, he's lingering in the forest. And if you forget about Voldemort, he might come back to full strength. Just like Sauron or Sar- whatever the big villain in Lord of mm-hmm. the Rings is. He's dead and he's gone, but he's not really just like the Sith in, in Star Wars. They're dead and gone. We're forgetting about them. And I don't have thing. a specific story to recall to, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes, you know, if you find that in those elemental all, all, all the way back to, you know, to Chaucer or to like Greek myth. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I feel like that's just like an, an aspect of how evil, I mean, he, like, even, I mean, she might like, not even be borrowing it off something like consciously. It might just be coming from the subconscious. Yeah. I think it's definitely from Lord of the Rings by way of Star Wars. I mean, it, it, it is effective. Well, there is like the notion. The notion of evil never dies is a that's the right, primal the, thing. Defeat, this movie has what, what I like about this series, especially, is the sort of generational. The, the way this is the sort of new generation. We learn more about the last generation and the good guys and the bad guys from the last generation. And it's about how this generation sort of, you know, eventually when Gary Oldman shows up and the whole Order of the Phoenix. I, I find that very sort of soulful. You know, the, the, the sort of passing the torch that happens in this movie. Or in this series, this is a nice long shot, by the way. It was really, it's like it feels like a shot that's proud of the effect for this uh creature, and so it like had a pan around from behind him and everything. Like, it's you it's know, this kind of guy, I do find shots that feel like they're having to hide the effects mm-hmm. be more authentic to my mind than ones where, well, it's all computer made anyway, so here's the whole wide shot. Well, it feels like yeah, this is sense. yeah, no, it does, and this is a sequence where it feels like they probably put the most effort in because they wanted to have they not only wanted to show off the effects, but these you know the characters in this scene matter, and they want to like, yeah, so you have, to have a serious conversation. So you have to tra- you have to trade off the quality of other scenes yeah. in order to make a scene like that work because it's emotionally important, not just spectacularly important. Um, but yeah, Felton is. And you know his arc is very interesting. As the you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I want us some alternate Harry Potter what if whatever, but theoretically, I think the last two books told from his point of view would be emotionally interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. As one that didn't read these, I didn't know where it was going exactly, so I was just really happy to see like, you know, he didn't just become like a bad guy and get like zapped. Were you like, surprised <laughs> at the end of of Half Blood Prince? What at, I mean, you gotta. I Snape don't. kills Dumbledore. Uh, no, because my stupid fucking friend decided oh. to tell me that uh, way in advance. Um, Dude, you said you wanted to know. <laughs> I I only say that because you know I read the the sixth book right when it came out, and everybody and their brother assumed Dumbledore was going to die at the end. Just, but yeah, the no, book treats it as a shock when Snape is the one that quote unquote pulls the trigger. Yeah, that's the thing. The I was first, first. My friend told me, "Yeah, Dumbledore dies." I'm like, "Oh, why'd you tell me that?" And he's like, "Yeah, Snape kills him." I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I got yeah, so. it. Uh, now the movie, to be fair, telegraphs it a lot. I would argue telegraphs it a lot more. Yeah, I felt that watching well, it. So I didn't, I didn't feel acting like he's a very conflicted man. He's not I, just going rogue. I didn't feel too bad watching the movie because yeah. it feels like the movie was, you know, if if I didn't know that, I would have yeah. known that. <laughs> like getting um, up to that point. And again, it's, it's, you know, different isn't better or worse, but the book, it was the way it was, it was written in the book is just a, you know, I was basically on an airplane reading and I started cackling to myself. I'm like, oh, yes. Um, a, that I had been, you know, surprised and B, I think there was a part of me that wanted 
the last book to be a bit unconventional to have Snape be the big bad at the end. Um, You're supposed to think Snape is going to be the big bad the whole time, don't we? Yeah. But, I mean, again, at the end of the sixth book, you know, I mean, it, you figure Rowling's not going to, you know, just have Snape be a bastard person because it's more interesting yeah, to, yeah. for him to be inflicted, blah, blah, blah. But there was a part of me that said, you know, what if, and again, I'm, you know, I, I'm fan theorizing back when that was something that wasn't monetizable. Um, you know, what if Voldemort dies halfway through the last book and Snape's the final bad guy? The, the villain that we've seen through the entire friggin' series from page one, basically, is the final villain. And whatever, that's not what happened, but it was fun to think about, and the way it was set up in the book was very exciting versus in the movie where it was played more as tragedy. Again, not better or worse, just different. You're getting me really excited to watch the rest of these movies, Scott. <laughs> like, I have like so, so many vague memories of like the middle chapters. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I'm not even huge on Half-Blood Prince. That's one of my least favorite That's my favorite movies. book in that movie took yeah. away everything I loved about the book. It took out a lot of the meat. I read, that's the first book I read of the series, and that is the best of the movie. They just watched it the other night. I think it's still the best one. It's got so Fair much enough. going on. Maybe it's because they reformed it to be more of a screenplay, but that one's got so much. You've got Draco, has got this terrible weight on his shoulders. You've got Ron has got the love potion. It, it, and all and the Harry Dumbledore stuff, and that is so phenomenal. This The stuff I think it's the greatest See, the, scene. But the, that's the thing. They, they they really neutered the Harry Dumbledore stuff from the I book the to book the movie. Anything, I, it was so much, it was so much more. It was the so, best, best scene in the whole... One of the best scenes in all fantasy movies that's seen in Half-Blood Prince where he's got to force Dumbledore to drink all that poison. Oh, that's no, it. no, no, no. That's great. I'm talking all the lead-up and stuff is from the book and all his studying with him and looking into the mystery... Is because it's a it's a mystery that the whole book and it's really intriguing and they're like no let's focus on teen heart breakups and love like and I loved it but that book the movie is in my estimation still the best one I don't I don't is that the one with the trailer that has young Voldemort yes okay that's a cool it's a cool trailer (laughs) the the Tom Riddle stuff yeah I remember that that was pretty cool (laughs) that was exciting because again it was like the series have gotten to a point where they could do that that's it like I'm mm -hmm. sorry yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was just—I'm sitting here going like before I knew Scott because Scott, your first episode with us on this podcast was part two. Yeah. Um, I before I knew you, we we both were like Deathly Hollows part one's the best of these movies. We're right. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's really good. <laughs> People like, who disagree, like my mother and my wife, can go straight to hell. That's <laughs> and that's part of where our kinship formed. <laughs> um. <laughs> And then Aaron told him he hadn't read a book of any of the books before, and Scott broke up with him. <laughs> I think the last four got slightly underrated because they were directed by what's his name, Yates. Yates. Yates yeah. I think he does a great job. <laughs> I mean, they're all well reviewed and everything. I mean, it's not like, it was like... No, but but people like us, the smart ass movie people, who are too hung up on auteur theory at that point, were really impressed by Mike. The, you know the Quaron and the Mike, uh, whatever. Well, people have a hard well, they, on for they Quaron, found like, they found the their and Ralph McQuarrie and everything was fine. He did a great. Yates does a great job with these and these last four, which are sort of angsty. I, I think he does a great job. Yeah, I mean people love I, the people love that second one, that part two a lot. Like I mean, yeah, not just yeah, like people. I mean, like people like people like us. They love the culmination yeah. thing. I mean, they love the final. I one. like the part one better than part two. Part one is great. Of, of the, uh oh, Wendy heard me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was. 
This dot, the Cerberus is pretty cool too. I think this thing comes up. Pretty well. I'm right. Um, no, I, I like this giant dog effect. It's, yeah. it's, it's it scary in a kid-friendly way. Seems like movies like, between this and the rings, they really got down how to make like giant stuff with little people next to it. Like, it's mm-hmm. Forced perspective mm-hmm. or you know tricky editing or whatnot. Just he's like, yeah, this, we nailed this too. <laughs> yeah. It's it's people getting onto beasts. That's the thing that's hung up everyone forever. Like that between this and Lord of the Rings, Attack, Attack of the, of the Clones. Clones. Has, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> we went right to Attack of the Clones. I know every <laughs> scene you're talking about, it's, it's, surfing on the thing and uh, boo. The, yeah, it's, the it's end the, of the human form. You can't do it. it just it doesn't. Your eyes. It's the, yeah, it's the getting. It's why the grappling stuff. in the Marvel movies doesn't make any sense to me. Why do you just hire stunt people instead of? grappling that is fake I mean, well, and, the, and the one person that can grapple gina carano got kicked out of star wars so i mean they really <laughs> fucked that up <laughs> right that's her whole thing grappling people that's her, that was her job before being yes. an actress <laughs> how great is that final spot battle in phantom menace with those three guys obviously working out a lot of choreography yeah to make that scene exciting if it was cg or all cg it would it would just not have dramatic weight well, you get a scene like Sith where they're just swinging like <laughs> separately from each other for two seconds before they do anything else. Yeah. And float on hover things. I will say that the, the end of this film, or at least the events leading up to the climax, do suffer a little bit from I already read the script syndrome. In that these three kids really piece together the puzzle almost on a whim despite not having that many pieces of the puzzle yeah it's more it's not a, it's not quite an escape room right yeah they're, they're ahead of the, they're ahead of the game which version is not totally effective i remember this feeling very long at the time on opening night um it's like you know it's 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 they go from or harry goes from voldemort's dead he's been dead for 11 years to that guy in the woods is voldemort like why would he even think that Anyway, whatever. It's nitpick. I like the chess scene, though. I do like. Oh yeah, these these it's the physical design. confrontations or actually physical challenges are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously, they each one gets something to do. Each one, you know, has to somewhat suffer to go. You know, it's it's it's. I do think it's interesting that the first film has all three of them in the finale. The second film has Ron and Harry. The third film has Ron and Hermione. Harry and Hermione, Harry, and the yeah. fourth has him just by himself. Well, it's him, uh, and, it, it's, it's him and Cedric, well, right? Yeah. A lot of good he does. My boy! He, he shielded Harry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens? Yeah. Cedric died upon arrival. That's kind of, yes. yeah. Spoilers for those That's of you. What, That's one of the things I like about the series, and then with arguably the exception of for those of you that thought we were going to do all seven, eight of these movies in a commentary <laughs> track and we're relying on us to relay you how these things pan out. We're going to be discussing um, it. That was a spoiler. Yeah. One thing I do like about the series, that with the exception of Dobby, none of the deaths are particularly noble or heroic. You know, even when people, you know, die in the heat of, you know, a serious black side of a pathetic death. Yeah. You know, Cedric yeah. gets gunned down like a random bank guard and a bystander. You know, bystander. You know, nobody gets terribly melodramatic or over the top or heroic demises. I remember I was I, I liked Lupin and who's he with? His uh, wife. Medora, what's her name though? Um, Tonks. Yeah. Nifedora Tonks. Tonks, yeah. 
And I was thinking, these two are too nice. I hope they will make it out alive. Mm. I was thinking, realistically, I'm like, well, one of them probably might die. And then it's both of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. And it's horrible. <laughs> not only is it off screen, but it's just, you know, well, you not be proud in this series. And he's one of the OG of Harry's dad's gang. Like, exactly. Left, yeah. Like, that whole crew was like, oh, these are good people. <laughs> I love that crew. That's, that's, and that's what we're talking about. None, of, none of them make it, do they? Other than maybe McGonagall? McGonagall, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Hagrid, I guess. Hagrid, yeah. Hagrid is the one where I'm like, because I don't know, and I'm thinking, yeah. this guy better not die in this movie. Well, like, he was yeah. always well, the, the, you know, the book they made you think he died at the beginning. They thought you yeah. like when you read it, it was like, oh crap, they killed Hagrid right away, but it was just the owl. They just killed that damn owl <laughs> to raise the stakes. Um, it's a pretty, I mean, just hmm. and here the CGI is a little dodgy, but oh well. It's yeah, 2001. It's, yeah. it, it, it's it Neo fighting all the Smiths. Yeah. Like that's what it looked like. And back then, when you're oh. on a big screen, it looked. It, the thing is, these things didn't look bad when you saw them on the big screen. It was when they came home that they really kind uh, of. Well, it pretty bad on the big screen too. Did people they? had people. Well, we're going to talk about yeah. this if Reloaded next month for sure. But people had a lot of problems with, with that. <laughs> and again, I would argue the second film was at a quantum leap in the quality of the effects. Uh, mm-hmm. That film and X2, which came out like what six months later, yeah. were two films where I thought, oh my God, these are the, frankly, some of the best special effects I had seen in that kind of film where they were immersive, authentic, and didn't feel like the, you know, they were just sort of off the cuff. X2 had the benefit of not being like an independent movie like the first yeah. one was. <laughs> like, yeah. It had yeah. money to spend. <laughs> um. And like fourteen directors to help, um, yeah. so that's another conversation. I like because I like this set, this whole chest thing. I like you this, know X two. Like, a lot of people worked on that one. There's a lot more <laughs> than just um, certain people making it. A lot of things went into it. It's okay to like it. It's okay to like it. And the shots are still cool. That was back when a character quip in a movie was, what do you teach? Art. Yeah. And we laughed. <laughs> well, my l- line of the series has always been, what do they call you? Wheels? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the easiest joke. And it's always funny to me. And I always refer to him as Wheels whenever Wolverine and him have an interaction because mm-hmm. it's just the best. What if his name was Wheels? <laughs> I remember the first time I watched this, I didn't quite pay attention to the rules. So I'm like, why does he just get off the horse? He'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> like he's so he's so dramatic. Why if he just gets off the horse, he won't get hot, he won't get hurt. Yeah, like this holds up because this is like practical stuff yeah, going other, on. It's so yeah, crazy. This is just, huge. Just real pieces. It looks huge. If like, yeah, it's tangible. It's it holds up and it'll hold up to ten years from now too in ways yeah. that some other more recent things won't. Yeah. Which is well, interesting. Well, the funny thing was, like, one of the benefits when CGI was coming out was, oh, they can always go back and keep tinkering and making it look better. They don't do that. They they, don't, it's yeah. done. Like, I mean, they might they might mess around with it till it comes to home video, and once it's there, they're done. But they, I mean, the benefit of it was supposed to be like, oh, well, it looks like this now, but in a couple of years, we can fix this and make it look. And they they have it, and I'm sure. 
now we got to the point where you have film snob purists are like, I want my CG looking crappy because that's how yeah. it looks. Like, <laughs> I'd take improved stuff, do I mean, because and Lucas was the only one really doing it um, with Star Wars because Jabba the Hutt in the special editions, they look like garbage in the original <laughs> special edition and it got better looking as the home video. Better looking garbage now. <laughs> and Yoda and the weird in the theater, didn't he? Yoda and the Phantom Menace. Yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were oh, yeah. completely. They're like, this puppet was high. We're getting rid of this thing immediately. <laughs> like, what's yeah. digital? I was like, hey, guys. And nobody complains about them taking off the traveling mats or whatever and all yeah. the special Because nobody thinks about that stuff. No one wants to admit that like there's actual good reasons to do certain right, things. Right, yeah. Like, there's no see-through cockpits in the original Star Wars. There's no shadow boxes around the ship. Like you don't complain about that because that's what I'm all- saying. You don't want the original theatrical release on right. like Blu-ray. You right. don't want that. It would look real funny. <laughs> Those yeah. weird shapes around all the Tie Fighters. Yeah, you'd see strings like they they pulled the strings for like Indiana Jones and things like that. I wish they'd do it to Face Off because when that came to Blu-ray, you could see bungees and stuff all yep. over the place. <laughs> and uh, Mission Impossible Two, you can see the string where where he's going to kick up the gun at the end. Spoilers, but that—that's why it's Mission Impossible, though, because he—he he secretly planted that string there. Right. He didn't think he, he, didn't think he could do it, but he could. No how do you how do you how do you kick a gun that flies up nine feet in the air and it's <laughs> directly up? It's just wonderful. It is wonderful, and that's why we like that movie. Mm-hmm. Not as much as Scott does, who you know worships it when he wakes up in the morning. But yeah, you know, I'm right. Pretty I do. Good. <laughs> Hard work being correct. Yeah, each one of each time when you had it when you had a child, you played Limp Biscuits and my two theme in the background to really get the, the juices flowing. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Why does everybody want to hate me? Well, when they decide to rebel against me in their teenage years, they'll start talking about how much they love MI3. <laughs> That's that'll be around the time when they when they uh, start shooting MI9 and cast Cooper Hoffman as his son. What's your name? Ethan. Ethan Impossible. <laughs> Tom Cruise, Ving Rames, Rebecca Ferguson, and Oded Fair. Is- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a new commentary bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, he should have just got off that horse. (laughs) Do we? So, here's a question for as far as like these books and these movies go, going off of my own naivete as far as all this goes. Do like we know, like, the kind of as far as the romantic pairings are concerned, like, is it from the start, like, Ron and Hermione is going to be a thing? No. Are they, are they, are we champ, are people championing like Harry and Hermione? Is that a thing? I think Harry and you know Watson and Radcliffe had more chemistry in the films they very than were do. expected, <laughs> and certainly Luna Lovegood. Of, 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 I don't remember yeah. the name of the actress. Yeah. I apologize. Mm-hmm. She's a far more interesting, quirky, and 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 pardon the expression, attractive character in the films than she is in the books. The point where her and Harry probably would have made a decent match. Uh, certainly more so than Ginny, who through no fault of her own, the movie version of Ginny has a lot of her edges sanded off to make her more of just, just a girl who happens to be Ron's sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, she loses a lot of personality from the books, unfortunately. Um, 
but no, there, there was no angling angling in terms of who was going to paired with who early on. I'm mean, sure there are giant fan bases that had ships that were, you know, on news groups or whatever, whatever it was done back then in 2001. How about well, later on, how about, instant messenger. How about later on in the series? Is that maybe does it become more apparent? Uh yeah. Well, by book four, Ron is into Hermione. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harry's got a crush on uh, Ching Chow, I believe is her name. Cho Chang. Cho Chang. Chang. Harry has a few like yeah. potentials, it seems, throughout this like you again in the movie, you know, isn't a particularly engrossing character, but oh well. Yeah. I, I knowing because I remember when they like they cast the character. And in the movie, it just felt like I guess they just wanted like an Asian character to increase diversity. Like it never really registered yeah. as like a character beyond just no. Hey, look, look, somebody's different. <laughs> like that's what it felt like. Um, well, I mean, I love that this story could go through, and Harry and Hermione could be just friends the whole time with zero curiosity at all. Like just yeah. they can just be friends, and like well, Hermione's like Hermione and Harry are best friends more so than. Well, I mean, Ron's her boyfriend, but she I think she considers Harry her best friend or something. That's an interesting dynamic that, you know, is just allowed to happen. It's mm-hmm. refreshing. Now, of course, Rowling claims if she knew better, she would have paired up Harry and Hermione because she just can't shut up. That that just seems too, like, easy. <laughs> uh, so we got the Professor of the Dark Arts here. Um, Twist. Does he just take like a door to get into this room? <laughs> it's like, it like they had a long way to go just to get to this like nondescript basement area. But yeah, watching this guy in this turban, I'm like, that's, that's, there's something wrong with him, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? Who plays this guy? Uh, Ian Hart. Ian Hart, mm-hmm. who's famous for playing John Lennon two times uh, before this in an mm-hmm. okay. in a short film called The Hours and the Times. See a bigger name over in the UK than yes. here? Because, yeah, because for here, it's like, okay, they cast big, big, big. But when it comes to the bad. Well, it's, it's only in one movie. I think that's also part of it. Yeah. Watching not going bigger. But, you know, I imagine... It, yeah, it would be a big person, but he's got a lot of T. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of TV for England as well. He was an enemy of the state. The Last Kingdom, the Netflix series on that. He got a lot of acclaim for for that John Lennon for Backbeat. At the time, mm-hmm. he was a pretty uh, interesting British actor. And here we go with Malignant. <laughs> <laughs> This is like when they didn't have Andy Serkis for Gollum yet in the first <laughs> Fellowship of the Rings. Like, yeah, there's a little more, right? George would have gone and put Ray Fines on there. Right? <laughs> he would have been right, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like an old man, Voldemort. Makes sense. But... He's not quite snakeish. It's just more like a face on a face. That's a fun effect, though. It's, yeah, that wraparound. But the CG look, I mean, the CG looks so pretty good detailed there. Like, I, I saw yeah. someone pointing out the other day, like, complaining about the Spider-Man trailer CG, and they put a picture of Davy Jones and be like, this is from, like, from Pirates. It's like, 
This is from like 2006. Yeah. <laughs> it's way more detailed and lifelike looking than... Than, mo- than most things because yeah, most the Davy Jones effect still looks amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but the old won't. effects look like the old CG effects look better because they rush through things or they just don't care. I don't. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand why they do it. I think they're overworked and underpaid. Part of it. That's yeah. true. And don't rely on CG. Somebody. But Marvel and Disney are the good guys. <laughs> it's my I favorite of the corporate overlords. Anybody would rather see two stuntmen fighting than two CG figures fighting. Right? I think so. That's what I, I liked about like Shang-Chi. Like, it didn't feel like I was watching in those fights. didn't feel like any CG tomfoolery. It was yeah. kind of natural. But What happens if Voldemort like, got his way right now? <laughs> like, you think he kills Harry? He just like, betrays him immediately? Well, we find out he has to. That's true. We go. Th- you sit through a thousand-page novel to find out that Harry and Voldemort are going to have to face off at some point. <laughs> what? Did Harry has hot hands. Is it like a protection thing? Is that the yeah. logic here? Yeah. Okay. When he Which, grabs them in, in the book, it's less graphic. <laughs> well, no. In here, he's outright murdering the guy. I. That's yeah. Because I was watching this last week. He's like, he just he just murders a person at the end of this yeah. movie. <laughs> like, the dungeon. Like I don't think Frodo murdered anybody at Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> like, That's why I get those extra points for the Wizard Cup or whatever at the end. Uh huh. All the murder. Like right here, he's he's murdering. Yeah, murder. Like he's yeah. he's going for it. Oh, we were talking about all the deaths in this franchise. I mean, as far as like main character deaths go, like this one has a bigger death count than you know the apocalyptic Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like the Fellowship gets out pretty unscathed, besides Boromir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah. In terms of main characters, right. everyone dies. Well, yeah. Gandalf, <laughs> Gandalf dies, yeah. but dies. he comes back. Well, like, you don't know that if you just watch Fellowship. You don't know that. Just not, I, Fellowship. He doesn't I, go. I'll return in the next movie. I'm just thinking at the. I'm just thinking at the end of the day, like when you like yeah. they they went through yeah. they went to hell and back, and it's yeah. like oh, we, yeah. we all lived like Boromir. You know what? You, you had the, problems, the, but the, the rest king of, of us. the king of Rohan dies. Like that's. That's yeah. your big death in Return of the and King. And the King of Gondor, if that was... Yeah. I mean, everyone else is, like, evil. And, like, Gollum. I mean, um, like, that's, I mean, it doesn't matter. No, you're right. You know, especially for this series, which, you know, there's one death in this first movie, the villain. Mm-hmm. There's really no deaths in the second film. There's no deaths in the third. And then it's like, you know, Cedric dies in the first, fourth film, and then Sirius dies flag. in the fifth, Dumbledore in the sixth, and then the seventh and eighth are just outright massacres. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, simplistically speaking, it was a matter of, you know, the World War I generation prepares to fight World War II hmm. um, in terms of the, the story arc overall. Um, and, yeah, and as a result, the old generation dies out and does you know succumbs in battle while they like most of the younger people survive. Um, which was part of what The Last Jedi was trying to do. You gotta let the past die. Kill it if you have to. <laughs> Richard Harris, very good in this. It's too bad. Oh, yeah. Michael Gambon is probably even better, but Harris certainly does well. In it's interesting, things. like, the character, like, with Gambon, like, does kind of change a bit. Like, I, it's two different actors, but Harris is more classically old frail wizard, and then Gambon's a little bit more 
curious. Yeah. Edgy. Game was a little edgy, yeah. Well, that's why I don't mind. I mean, obviously, it's it's circumstance to begin with as far yeah. as why you change it. But I I have a tough time picturing Harris being as active if he was still mm-hmm. around to be in the yeah. other films. Yeah. And, you know, Jude I Law mean, is... Uh... <laughs> I mean, Harris, you know, I have no idea what his health was like even then, but he looks like a stiff wind could blow him over. He does. He yeah. Put, yeah. Like, I, he, his warmth is certainly there, no yeah. question. And we're going to get to this next scene where he's, <laughs> he's just cheats giving like out a mofo. <laughs> it's not just that he cheats. It's how he cheats. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 pres- well, it's how much like Mario it's how much It's how much presentation he puts into the cheating. Yeah. That's, that's what gets me. Excuse me. We, we play Mario Party and, you know, at the end where they give random stars to uh-huh. bullshit accomplishments. Mm. We always call that getting Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the movie landed three Oscar nominations the score which made plenty of sense to me art direction and costume design all of those are deserved didn't win any but you know it certainly got the noms I assume Lord of the Rings won most of those yeah Lord of the Rings dominated those ones Uh, um, and for what it's worth in the book there are more scenes where Snape takes away points from Gryffindor, Gryffindor just to be a dick. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of kind of just giving those points back after the fact. Mm-hmm. But here, Actually, it's, it's grand scale cheating. Uh, Moulin Rouge won art direction and costume. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, score Lord of the Rings God. That's fair. And Williams was a he was a double he was a double threat. He had that in AI because they you know if he does more than one, they the Oscars are required to nominate him. That's how it works. <laughs> Munich Tintin. Or sorry, Munich. Not me. Um, what's it? Um, War of the World. War, War Horse. War Horse and Tintin. Oh right, right. <laughs> Certainly, um, underlines the, the the singular talents of a guy like John Williams. I don't think I've never found that the Avengers theme that Alan Silvestri did. I never thought that was as catchy as people wanted it to be. Oh, it's not, grew it, on me. I it's it's, imagine, bad. it's, bad. it's, a, it's not a good theme. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> imagine being cast with you. Got to come up with a theme for Harry Potter that sounds like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And he does it so beautifully, John Williams, at the age of whatever, 80. I mean, the little 10-note thing, it's perfect for this, you know? And it's the kind of theme people miss. From there are other days. good themes in this score. I yeah. love the last music cue when he's boarding the train at the very end. Yeah. Which is sort of come sort of the whole, you know, farewell, you know, you know curtain call music for this entire franchise. Right before uh, Nickelback comes on. Exactly. <laughs> he's 89 now, so he was 69. When um, nice. When, when um, uh huh. Put together the Harry Potter, and also in the middle of writing prequel music, and yeah, might be the greatest film composer ever, John Williams. He even composed the theme for NFL Sunday Night Football. They love him so much. In the People's Court. Was that Chamber of Secrets? Was two, was it the next year or was it two years later? What? Chamber of Secrets was the next year or two years next later? Year. Next year. One year later, yeah. One year later. I guess they had to. They were on a, they, and it's, it's it's famous for being like less expensive than this one because everything was built already. So they can yeah, do all the stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> and then Koran's like, let's do it differently. And um, <laughs> got a whole bunch of other stuff. And then the movie makes less money. <laughs> it's just so much matter. less money that, again, it wasn't until part four that like, okay, we're going to finish this. I like to call him Alfonsi. 
because when he walks into the room, he mm-hmm. flips his scarf and goes, hey. Hey. And Del Toro and Inuritu look back and go, hey. It's, that, that's their thing. That's the three amigos. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. <laughs> yep. And Chivo catches it on camera. He has tons of hours <laughs> of them going, hey. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, I should put the Del Toro intro on this podcast. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> now, fifty points for uh, for the murder of a rogue professor, which now we don't have to pay tenure. Fifty points to get to Gryffindor. <laughs> I just like this because as I've described, Dumbledore is a messy bitch who loves drama. He just wants yeah, the mess. <laughs> He's sitting there knowing these kids are going to be all pissed off. Like, I'm just going to start getting off the points. Dick. These kids much hate these hats. I can't imagine any of them liking these hats. Weird and stiff, not colorful. Like, look at Dumbledore's hat; it's awesome. <laughs> These kids like look like dunce hats. Kirsten Dunce was in Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> we're two hours and twenty minutes in. <laughs> you get points and. Neville? Scott, this movie came out in China, correct? Like recently? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it made another $25 million in China in summer 2020. Which was they allowed it? Than... It's got ghosts in it. What? Uh, they're not ghosts. They're, they're not they're, ghost they're, ghosts. They're, they're wizardly, they're, they're wizardly yeah. beyonds. You're telling me John Cleese isn't a ghost in here? He's a, he's a, beyond, he's a wizardly beyond. Oh, that's... Um, and yeah, it was enough to get it over the billion dollar mark. Because previously, I mean, all of these films, you know, uh, Azkaban did seven ninety two, but everything else did around, you know, eight fifty. Just seven hundred ninety two million. Just, just, just seven hundred ninety two. <laughs> this chump change for Warner Brothers really, really digging their foot in the, in the dirt that that summer. Well, let's re release it in China a couple time, times, get it up to a billion. China loves time travel. <laughs> and so, yeah, this one did a. Uh, yeah, this one did a billion, 974 in 2001, which was the second biggest movie of all time behind Titanic. Boom. Uh, did 318 domestic, biggest for the year, with a couple bucks more than uh, Lord of the Rings, which did uh, 313. Um, but the next year, two towers made more than Chamber of Secrets, uh, but not globally. Globally, okay. this was, I believe, still the biggest movie of the year worldwide, 20, mm. 2002. Well, there were two towers. There was only one chamber. Of course, exactly more money. And the, but the but the global box office they love chambers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. And uh, the Chamber Brothers. Yeah, it was Chamber of Secrets, then Two Towers, then Spider Man, then Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Um. And then two thousand summer two thousand four did seven ninety two, and then it was the biggest grossing movie worldwide of two thousand five. With uh, I think like eight ninety or something, so it was ahead of the two of uh, Revenge of the Sith. It was ahead of Chronicles of Riddick. It was not Riddick. Ha, ha, ha. Chronicles of Narnia. That would have been a different movie. Um, 
this ending i'm sorry just like no, no, go ahead he gets, this, he gets this wonderful book with his parents like it's just so nice and haggard mm-hmm. it's so like lovely like it just it leaves you on such a strong note and you're like it is to its own degree standalone like it, yeah. it all stopped here you'd be mm-hmm. fine like it, yeah. like it wouldn't affect you yeah i mean you'll, you you'll, i guess i'll read the books if i want more yeah 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 but like it's a, like and radcliffe does this well too like you know we haven't talked much about these kids honestly at all <laughs> like i do i mean he's selling these moments that i think really you know they land in the right kind of way where you want to you if you got this experience you got this experience but if you want to see more of them hey these kids are there's a confidence in them as far as them inhabiting these people even if i don't think they're all great actors right away i do think that there's there's it all it clicks in the right way which does come oh. down to casting it does come down to put how you put this thing together and just this general feel like yancy you've been talking about like just what this is doing, like regardless of it being based off a book or whatnot, you're just getting, you know, you're 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 getting this display that just like works. Like I don't know how else to say it. Um, very good holiday movie. Very good end of the year movie. Um, yeah, and you know, for obviously in the first film, you use the 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 adult supporting cast as sort of a safety net for the kids, and then. I would say Azkaban is probably the first one where the adults get to quote unquote act beyond just being, you know, teachers and, and authority figures and exposition machines. Especially Alan Rickman. Azkaban is the first one where he actually gets to act. Um, watching all these back to back to back to back, which I haven't done in a while, but you'll notice, especially as the films go on, how much of an impact Rickman and Gambin eventually. And the make, despite having very little screen time individually, you know, as a whole, they oper- they take up enough of the picture that it's not always relying on the kids. But individually, they're barely in the movies. Um, especially Rickman, who you think is you know there all the time because he casts such a huge presence. But again, he really doesn't get to act until the third film. He's barely in the fourth film, and he really doesn't have an arc of note until the fifth. Film. That's the um, these, these billings with Dan Rupert Grint, his first movie, second build. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> John Cleese pulling it off and forth. Uh, I know it's alphabetical, but, uh, but you know, Scott, you're, I mean, that's the joy of casting like these kinds of actors. Like, I, that's why I mean, British actors are so like, you know, as stuffy as some people can think they are, they're so not pretentious about the gift of acting compared no, to yeah. America, where it's like it's method and all this. How stuff. big's the part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so there's so you know, that's why you get guys like Cushing and whatnot, like acting in horror, you know, Hammer horror movies. For years, like mm-hmm. I just like doing the job. I don't, I don't need to inhabit. I don't, you know, Rickman's not like I need to inhabit the character of Snape for four months before I get it down perfectly. It's like yes, I just want. To- <laughs> Mr. Potter to like do the thing. like it is he knows what he's, he wants he does what he, he gets it in and get out. <laughs> um, you know, it's something you were talking about earlier, and there may be an answer to this, but how did have Anthony Hopkins not end up in one of these movies? Because Transformers was his franchise. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> he was. <laughs> he was waiting. He no, didn't want to interrupt. No, in 2007, he saw it as like that's the one I want to be. in. And he's like, but Sir Anthony, <laughs> Clovis, and um, Yates, they keep calling. They keep like wanting to write things for him. He's like, I saw the movie I want to see. That's the series I want to be in. And he waited, but he got it. 
Michael Bay is one of my <laughs> favorite. Have you seen the island? <laughs> <laughs> that, was no island. that was good. That sounded just like, like seriously. <laughs> Bro, Harbor had me in tears. Uh, what the Americans went through. What would Hopkins play? Who would he be in this? Oh, I, I, he could have been Lockhart. He could have been uh, Mad Eye Moody. Mad Eye. Oh yeah, that, Mad Eye. But there you go, Mad Eye. Mad, he's been great, Mad Eye Moody. That's pretty good. <laughs> I can see that. What a great um, name that is, by the way. I lo- like I like Brendan Gleeson in that role. Mad Eye Moody is just a wonderful name to have in the Harry Potter world. Well, it's funny you get in that movie like David Tennant for like seconds, yeah. and he's yeah. like immediately the next year takes off. I mean, he was known in the UK, but like that's an example of like that's the first. I think that's the first instance I ever saw him, and then he was Doctor Who the very next year, and now a very name actor in both internationally. And it's because of how the plot plays out. We almost see none of, you know, Brendan Gleeson as Mad Eye Moody as himself. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's barely in the fifth one, right? I mean, he's not in it much. He pops up and then he's in Deathly Hollows for a little bit. Yeah. Too. He's not yeah. in the sixth one at all. I mean, he dies very quickly in Deathly Hollows. Yeah. Yeah. The most um, obvious guy. He's like off screen death, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, we Again, lost Mad Eye. Death not be proud. The most obvious casting has to be Timothy Small. Like that seemed like that was oh yeah that oh. was like ri- that was written into like some stone tablet years before they wrote the first book out. <laughs> but Timothy Small's got to be here. He's got to be the traitor guy. Well, that was the, the you know when I was when I first you know I I had read obviously the fourth book had come out when this first movie came out. You know I never would have done this, but you know sitting there on opening night and I want to scream that you know Ron's rat killed Harry's parents. Oh really? <laughs> Somebody said it's hilarious. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. See this um, whole section devoted to Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Do we get that anymore? Do we get like a section no. devoted to like Creature? I mean, if, if it's not like a horror movie, like a low budget horror movie where like Nicotero or whatever can take over. Well, there's that um, Melissa McCarthy one. Ugh. A few years back. Alas. <laughs> Sure, what they happened? had uh, credit for that. Happy is it time. Happy Time Murders? Is that what's going? Oh, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. As long gestating process projects go, it was slightly less funny than Scorsese's Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Silence had some laughs, though. Remember that one guy? He cut off his head. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John Rogers did the model gaffing on this. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Oh, Anthony just, Vice on plaster. Oh, you, he does good stuff. <laughs> I am looking forward to watching the rest of these movies. <laughs> like, I'm just like, like I'm thinking, like what? I'm like, what time? I'm like, what time is it? Could I, could I just squeeze one in right now? 4K setup, man. It's gonna be on yeah. sale. I don't have the 4Ks. I just have oh, this. I have this Blu-ray box that I've never opened until watching this one last week for the first time. <laughs> But I just figured it'd probably be good to have these just in case. They're good. They're better than most. Yeah. I mean, to go through eight films as well as they, I mean, it's incredible. Like And like not lose cast members except for like death. Like, yeah, you know, yeah you, you they lost one, I think. Yeah. You know, I think it was just him. Yeah. I mean, um, th- there was like, uh, they. I mean, granted, like, Branna should have came back in order of the Phoenix, but uh, they kind of cut through all that stuff. And the, there's a, I mean, that book's huge. 
Yeah, that book no. is so full of fat. <laughs> does he cut, does he come back at all? Doesn't he have something? No. no. He doesn't come back ever. I don't think. Nope. No, I don't think so. No, but there's a there's a scene in a insane asylum where the, Harry talks to him again, but um, that was in the Board of the Phoenix, and that was removed. The whole segment, I believe, was gone. It was too good. Is that why? Yeah. Well, there's, no. stuff to, there's stuff to do with Ron Weasley's father in it that is all sort of, I believe, gone. Um, who's Ron Weasley's father? Did he do something? Is he a bad guy? No, it's Arthur. No. He's, he's like guarding the, the, the property, right? He gets whacked. That's right. Something. Okay, yeah. yeah. Guys, I'm going to watch these. I'm going to remember a lot of stuff. <laughs> You're for a treat, man. We've been watching these all month. We just were watching the Deathly Hallows Part 1 last night, so... With little, dog, his little, his little shriveled bodies on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's cradled up. It's so small. Ooh, the visual effects by Smoke and Mirrors. <laughs> I wonder what they handled. In school. There is a lot of smoke and mirrors in this first movie. Yeah. It also helps that they like, found castles to film this in. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't credit enough. How how convenient it is to have castles just lying around be used like for Monty sets. Python and the Holy Grail before them? Harry exactly. Potter found the castles, just like it. Monty <laughs> well, Python's like two castles that look like five. Yeah, that's some yeah. good stuff right there. Terry Gilliam could bring it back around. Well, we've done it. We've talked about Harry Potter and, and the, Sorcerer's the Sorcerer's Stone slash Philosopher's Stone, and we didn't even talk. About- and we didn't even talk about what that stone was, but it, it like grants immortality or something, right? That's what it does. It was Flamel. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's going to do it for this uh, commentary track. Uh, let us know if there's any desire to have us do more of these because I'm you know not opposed to talking about Harry Potter movies, but there's like there's, we're going to have of... the Chamber of Secrets Part One and the Chamber of Secrets Part Two commentaries. Yeah, there, there's seven of these. So it's, it's you know. Seven more, seven more, seven more of these. So yeah, we'll take some time. Let's roll through the night. And we we already have some, you know, things lined up. So it's not gonna be anytime soon. Maybe when they finally get the next fantasy, or fantasy, uh, Fantastic Beast movie. We we'll have the twentieth anniversary of Chamber of Secrets next year. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we can do. But yeah, next month is Matrix Reloaded, and if Scott's laid down the challenge that we need to talk about Kiss Me Deadly on a commentary track, so that's definitely coming up very soon. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. We're definitely doing Kiss Me Deadly commentary. It'll be January, February. I don't care. Kiss Me Deadly, the old, the yeah, the noir, yeah. Oh wow, you're doing that. Definitely a story. Inside joke. Based on an inside Twitter joke. Yes. Do this stuff. No, we're still going to do it. I'm just saying that's the origins of it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can. Yeah, Joey Dodd <laughs> talk some Cloris Leach. Um, but for the time being, that is going to do it for this month's commentary track. Uh, you can find more of my stuff over at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. Also, writing for Leave Entertainment, Splice of Blue, Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Um, all that stuff. You can find this podcast everywhere. But how about you guys? Yancey, anything you want to plug? Yeah, no, not this time, guys. All right. I'm looking it's late. I'm tired. Milky Way Blues, Yancey Jack on Twitter. I'm all on Facebook. Um, this is my most uh, public uh, appearance, these commentaries, I want to say. It's all good. Brandon Enjoy. Peters, what would you like to plug? Uh, Brandon Peters Show. It's uh, my podcast. You have a show? And, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me take the next two hours to tell you about it. 
no, uh, BrandonPetersShow.com, uh, on Twitter, at Brandon4KUHD, same as Instagram. And I believe, yeah, uh, got my 2021 Blu-ray Holiday Gift Guide episode dropping Ooh, here. And uh, myself and Jeff Arbuckle uh, steps in uh, from Film Seizure and B-Movie Enema. So... Uh, tune in to listen to us uh, give some recommends go over some of the big events and a uh, lot of fun sounds like you'll get your fill uh, Scott Mendelson where can people find more of you uh, Forbes.com please google some variation of Scott Mendelson Forbes and the ticket booth I'm at Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson and that's basically where I reside all right well guys this has been fun thank you Brandon Scott and Yancey for joining me for this Harry Potter commentary it's really a pleasure hey it was magical. Ten points to out now. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that puts us in the lead. In your face, Battleship It's a Mario Party. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was fun. Uh, it's going to do it for this month's commentary track. Next month, we uh, return to the Matrix uh, by reloading before we get resurrected. But until then, and until next time, so long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.